Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. To get rid of these freaking diapers on our faces. Time to get rid of these freaking masks on our faces. Rocking in the free world means no mask, no mask, no mask. And yet as I walk about New York City, as I come around the final turn into the weekend where ABC stands for always broadcasting, Curtis, into my 20th hour... I'll tell you what it means, ladies and gentlemen. And we got a lot of sheep in New York City. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. I thought Kathy Hokum, the governor, Hokum meaning nonsense, has already said you don't have to wear these freaking diapers over your face when you go into retail establishments, right? And into restaurants. And yet what do people do? <laughs> Fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. Well, I've decided I have to help all of you, those feckless and weak ones who refuse to lift their arms up to their face and rip that freaking mask off your mouth and enjoy freedom. Freedom like you have in Florida. That's right, free world. Free world, Florida. Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, Texas, Tennessee, and parts unknown. Above the Mason-Dixon line, fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. Ooh, I want to be a mummy. I want to be the Sphinx. Could you put two, maybe three masks on? Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm so afraid. Maybe you should just put the Sunday New York Times shoving in your mouth and wrap it around your face. Those progressives, you're so intimidated, you're so frightened, you're so scared. So I'm going to refer to your Bible, the old gray lady, the New York Times, which today above the fold on the front page indicated to all of you as to whether you should wear a mask or not. And naturally, nobody's going to do anything until they have their Sunday New York Times. You know, there's Starbucks coffee. They go through each and every one of the sections and then even argue over the letters to the editor. I kid you not. They argue over the letters to the editor. But above the fold on the front page, in big, bold letters, 
should you still wear a mask? And I saw some of these altachachas on the Upper West Side saying, how dare they even suggest that till the day I die? Well, at the rate you're going, lady, you're going to keel over at any moment. You're wearing depends below your navel and depends around your mouth. So the New York Times asks these questions. Ladies and gentlemen, feel free to weigh in. 800-848-9222 as to whether we should still wear a mask. Not just limited to the five boroughs, all of New York, all of New Jersey, Connecticut, and of course, New Jersey. And in 38 states and parts of old Canada and part of Europe, uh, they can hear the 50,000 powerful watts of sound when it's sundown. And even uh, in the Bermuda Triangle between the Bahamas and Bermuda, where you go right to Davy Jones's locker. Ah, manta, manta, poco, poco. So the question the New York Times, the old gray lady says uh, today, uh, all the news it's fit to print. Uh, a lot of printed words today. Should you still wear a mask? Who is the most vulnerable person in your immediate circle? Well, let me see. Uh, it says you must wear a mask if a person is unvaxxed in your circumference. And if you happen to be unvaxxed, definitely two, three, four masks or more. If you happen to be in a hospital, you have to wear a mask. If you are compromised because your immunity is low or you know of other people, double mask. (laughs) 1-800-848-9222. Wait, this is just the tip of the New York Times iceberg. If you're fully vaxxed and boosted up, they suggest that maybe there's a little leeway. Maybe there's light at the end of the tunnel where you can actually pull the mask slightly ajar. Not totally pull it off, slightly ajar. So if you happen to be on a sidewalk and in a park and you look all around and there's nobody in immediate proximity to you, you can slip that mask down just a little bit. Don't take it all off because the New York Times says if you take it completely off, you may not put it back on. You may lose it which you can see in the litter, mass, mass everywhere. My God, they filled up the sewer system of New York. If we have a heavy rain or heavy snow in which there's accumulation and then it melts, we're going to have clogged sewers just from all the freaking masks that are either being disposed of or lost. How many people have lost their mask out there, right? You reach into your pocket, no mask, and you say, I gotta go into a, I gotta go into a store. It's a life and death situation. So what you do is you you take a paper towel, you put it on your mouth, and the uh, clerks, that's not a mask. You need to have an official mask. I'm not asking you for a K995 or an N95 or a KF94. I want a freaking cloth mask on your face or never, ever cross our threshold again of our, our, our retail establishment. How many times have you been made to feel like somehow you're violating God's rules by not having a mask, sneaking in like all politicians do, do as I say, not as I do, but they don't wear no freaking masks. Look at that, Gillibrand upstate, she goes in, she goes out. Carl Hasty, Speaker of the Crooked Assembly, he goes in, he goes out. I don't need to wear no freaking mask, you know who I am? But you little people, all of you little people need to mask up. We need to be able to show you we're in control. Don't, 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 don't fool with that mask, don't pull it down a little bit. No, over the nose, over the mouth, over the chin. And by the way, just to be sure, you need to double up.
Now, if you happen to be a concert or a sports event, again, to be safe as opposed to sorry. Not for you, but for everybody else out there. Mask up. If you're shoulder to shoulder, mask up. If you're in the standing room area, if you're a groupie at a concert, right, you're right by the stage, you're ready to take your bra off and your panties and throw it on stage to the performers, yes, you must be masked up, even if you're outside. Well, there's a cigarette analogy, according to the New York Times. If someone is smoking in a room and it fills up the air, think of that as coronavirus. Think of that as COVID-19. Think of the respirators of the days of Cuomo. We don't have enough respirators. Fear, fright, hysteria, hype. You're going to go like Sid Rosenberg to a gym because you're a muscle head? You better mask up. In a big box store, you have to know exactly how, how high the ceiling is. If the ceiling is not high enough, mask up. If you're in crowded aisles and you're at the checkout... Better be safe than sorry. Double mask. Just, you never know who's on that line. I mean, it could be a leper from a leper colony. They could have tuberculosis. They could have dysentery. How do you know who they are? They could be illegal aliens that were just flown to Westchester County Airport and they've disseminated into the population. And they have not been vaccinated. They don't have boosters. They don't even have IDs. How do you know? What you might catch. And then in the air, there may be STDs. And I'm not talking about STP, Andy Granatelli, the racist edge that you put in gasoline so it sucks up all the moisture. STDs. The things you get letters from. The health department. How many of our guys here in the control room have gotten that envelope from the health department? That is very indescript. You open it up very gingerly. You're a little afraid. And it says... Yes, yes, come in, come in. You you have syphilis. Ah, I should have worn my mask when I had sex. Dr. Fauci, though, said you don't have to wear your mask when you have sex, when you fornicate or copulate, which you would think is the time you swap and spit. It's the most likely time that you're transferring COVID-19, right? No, not according to Dr. Fauci. And especially if you're doing it with a stranger. That's A-OK. But when that letter comes in from the health department, beware. It's penicillin hell. That's right, bend over. It's time for us to inject you. No, no, not with a vaccine. Penicillin. Because if not, oh, my God. You're going to be Al Capone. We gotta put fear, fright, hysteria, and hype into you. And my little pretties, my little children, even though you don't have severe symptoms, even though in Britain you don't wear a mask when you go to school or parts of Europe, or even in the southern states, even though it impedes your social development over these past two years, and even though the flu will kill thirty thousand dollars, excuse me, thirty thousand citizens a year of the United States. We're not going to take a chance. How do we know the little huckleberries might be carrying corn, breeding it like a nuclear reactor? We got to make sure those kids are masked up because, you know, something is teachers. We don't want to hear what they have to say. And by the way, you think the kids really want to hear what the teachers have to say? Can you imagine what it's like being in a class? My son, Anthony, who's 18, my son, Carter, 13, my son, Hunter, 11, all going to public school. <laughs> And then the kid has to answer. 
what, what do you do? Uh, signs, signage, you know, with your fingers and your hands. How the hell do they know what the hell is going on? I myself can't hear people talk when they have the freaking diaper on their mouth. And if you notice, they pull, they pull the mask out to speak, which would mean that if you had COVID, right, those germs escape. <laughs> and they go right into somebody's nostrils and into the pores of their body, and you have infected them. How are you going to feel then, huh? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Washington Heights here, see what's happening in the Heights. We're all walking into the school with no mask on. You can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with this. Yes. And obviously all of you are too. Yes. We want this to be a peaceful, respectful movement. We are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. If a staff member asks you to put a mask on, you say no thank you and keep walking. And if they kick you out, then go home. No, the time for peace is over. Just take the mask off. The kids were doing good. That was Washington State. Excuse me. I said Washington Heights. If that was Washington Heights, they would have been speaking that in Spanish, right? Because English is the second language there. Let's go to Sacramento. We're Gavin. My child deserves an in-person education. Whether she decides to wear a mask or not, it's a choice. And they shouldn't have to be made to wear a mask in school. And the little kitties were surrounding the state capitol in Sacramento and saying, why is it that the governor, Gavin Newsom, is never wearing a mask? But he wants us to wear masks. Gavin Newsom, do as I say, little people, not as I do. They both were uh, entered class unmasked, were counseled several times, several times asking to be masked. They were brave, ended up at the office. Hmm, at the office. And then, of course, there is inevitably the statement of Fauci, who is so confusing, the flip-flop man. His pride is he graduated from Regis High School, high school, a brainiac Jesuit high school. Uh, you know it's not a good high school. They don't have a football team. And they had a losing basketball team. They lost to Yeshiva High School. They lost to Harvey Milk High School. And he's proud. Oh, I was the number one high school basketball player. You lost to Yeshiva High School. You lost to Harvey Milk High School. And you consider that a badge of courage? Let's listen to Fauci. Well, right now, according to the metrics that the CDC has currently in place, the answer to that is yes. And the CDC does recommend that there's masking in school, given the current dynamics of the outbreak right now. When they are doing what you suggested earlier on in the interview, that they're looking at modifying the metrics of what they consider the guidelines for masking, that could change in some regions depending upon what the level of viral activity as well as the impact on severe disease as manifested by hospitalization. God, he's torturous. What the hell did the guy just say? You see, like a typical politician, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah, I don't want you to have to wear the mask, but better to wear the mask right now. And then, of course, the spokesperson for Joe Biden, our president, Saki, Saki, Saki. Jen, given that the CDC guideline still remains that masking is recommended in schools, if you are a parent, a teacher, a student living in a state where that is no longer recommended, should you still follow the CDC guideline? Yes. Yes. She's so happy. Yes. We're going to control you until the day you die. And then when you're in the casket, 
We're going to make you wear a mask in the casket. When they close the casket and give you a dirt bath, you will be buried with a mask. Do you understand me? Yes. Yes, Saki. And then, of course, here's Joyless Behar, who said she would wear a mask till the ends of time. Personally? Personally. Okay. Personally, I listen to the little voice in my head mm-hmm. that doesn't really follow 100% what they tell me because mm-hmm. they keep changing it. Yep. Right. So, like, very short time ago, they were saying, put the N95 masks right. on, and, make, and now they make sure it's a, And now they're saying you don't have to wear them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, if I go on the subway, mm-hmm. if I go in a bus, if I go into the theater, if I go into, um, where else would I a go? A crowded spot. A crowded yeah. place. A crowd. I would wear a mask, and I might do that indefinitely. Mm-hmm. Because why do I need a flu or a cold even? Right. That's and true. so I'm listening to myself right now. Yeah, I sort listen, of, li- I listen. mean, I don't think it's 100% safe yet. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. So she goes on that long diet trip. First of all, last time Joyless Behar rode a subway it was like in the 50s. You know, when she was going to Washington Irving High School, you know, old girls high school. You really think she takes the subway and the buses? She's a limousine liberal. It's out to the Hamptons. So she she gives us the kakarown, and she gets cold busted hours later. She's with all her birdie friends, and none of them have masks on. Out in a restaurant. No mask. No mask. No mask. Just like AOC, all out crazy, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. You remember when she was down in South Beach with all the Euro trash, the freakazoids, the trendoids, the jet setters. No mask. No mask. And what did she get? covid and yet, the one who makes the most sense, not Fauci, the Altacaca, not Joyless Behar, who, oh man, she's mindless, but a 10-year-old kid. I expected school to be a little bit different in the beginning, but I didn't think it would stay this way all year long, and I was surprised by the rules. A lot of them didn't make any sense to me, like the fact that we were not allowed to play on the playground or have student council or turn to face each other at lunch. And we also have to wear masks outside at PE and on track. I love my school and all, but my teachers seem really stressed, and that makes me feel bad. One teacher walks around with a clipboard full of referrals for any student whose mask isn't on properly. That same teacher yells at us having our masks down to drink water while we are outside in car line. She told us we had to wait until we were in our parents' car to have a drink of water. She had her mask down the entire time while she was yelling at us. This happens a lot, and it seems unfair teachers take their masks off while they while they yell at us kids and that we need to pull ours up. I asked my mom if there is a word for this, and she said there is. Hypocrisy. Wearing a mask all day makes me feel really tired and gives me really bad headaches. Hmm. Welcome to the club, kids. Soon you'll be an adult, and you'll have headaches from all other things other than a mask. Bills, uh, your own kids, grandchildren. The 10-year-old kid made more common sense than all the adult clips we played, right? The 10-year-old kid. Joyless Behar, liar, Fauci. You know, soon we'll find him, you know, roaming about in Central Park, feeding the the pigeons like I feed them every day, talking to the pigeons, saying, how come you don't have masks on? Really, pigeons, you should put masks on. And by the way, do you ever think of birth control condoms? You know, you could have sex. Pigeons, you could. But you really need to. I mean, I could could see this guy becoming that kind of screwball. 
Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. Now that the old gray lady, the New York Times has weighed in on this. Should you still wear a mask? And everybody was lined up this morning. Oh, I've got to have my New York Times. The hard copy, please. I'll, I'll get a double hernia. I need to see the magazine. The magazine. Oh, should you still wear a mask? Let's run home. Let's absorb this. Let's cross like like it's a crossword puzzle. Yes, no, maybe. Yes, no, maybe. Yes, no, maybe. Yes, no, maybe. Until they're freaking out of their minds. Take the freaking mask off your face. Take the depends off your face and enjoy freedom. Oh, no, no, I, I don't want to be free anymore. I like being cheap. <laughs> Let's go to Eddie, who's calling from Babylon. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Eddie. Curtis Sliwa, here he is. Um, Curtis, uh, I've been on the streets, too. I got my scars and broken bones, and I went to college. became a nuclear medicine, to- uh, nuclear medicine technologist, and I'll tell you, the N95N stands for non-oil. Which means, with a virus, this this COVID has a lipid or a fat coating around it, which is oil. It doesn't filter that out correctly. It's like having a mosquito go through a chain link fence. And that Joy Bayhart isn't she the sister of Bette Midler, the twin douchebag canoe sister? And I want to ask you. They start giving you a dirt bath. I know that you are going to throw it back at them, and you could have did a thousand percent more, couldn't you, in New York City right now? You could have saved lives already. But you only, only man. Eddie, on, only. What are you saying, Eddie? If only I was wearing my mask today. I marched in the Lunar New Year's parade for the Asian community. You know, we've been protecting them. Three hundred and sixty-eight percent increase in attacks on Asians. There were all the politicians. I mean, the schmuck, the putz, Chuck E. Cheese Schumer had a mask on. I couldn't even see his face. That was good. And all the politicians were lined up. Oh, we're here to protect you. And they're all online together. <laughs> they look like Hazra, you know, big beaks in the trough. They got those big N95 masks. And that's because they got the big schnoz. Don't kid it. You know, the cloth mask, you would see the schnoz protruding. So they got the N95 uh, mask because they always got their beak in the trough. And they're all screaming how they're taking care of Asians. And everybody down there had masks on. And I'm walking around without a mask. And they're looking at me like, is he breaking any law? Can we arrest him? Oh, that's right. We can't arrest people for killing people in New York City. What can we do to ostracize Curtis Sliwa? He's not wearing a mask. He boldly goes where no person goes in Chinatown. And that is to get his dumplings. But before he gets his dumplings, he doesn't wear his mask. I was public enemy number one. You should have seen him. They had uh, pictures up everywhere. Put your mask on. They were telling me in Mandarin and and Cantonese, put your mask on. I acted like I didn't understand him. Look, I don't understand English. How the hell am I going to understand Mandarin, Cantonese, Spanish, Yiddish, or any other uh, language that's spoken in the five boroughs of the city of New York? But I know what they're saying. Put your mask on. You're getting us angry. We need to see that you have your mask on, Curtis, or our lives will no longer have purpose. Boy, these people are weird. (laughs) Two years of masks. Never mind the kids. 
who don't know how to socialize anymore. What about the adults? Right? All these studies. Children will not be able to properly socialize and communicate now and in the future. What about adults? With those big beak N95 masks. Hey, hey, what did you say? I feel like a Canadian. Hey, 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 hey. Anyway, let's go to Mark, who's calling from Broadway, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. Yo, Curtis, this is the only time I can get the real Curtis when you're solo, man. Because um, when you're with Anthony the Weiner Wiener or Han, you're more of like a moderator. Uh, when he was spinning yesterday, um, uh, Wiener, about, oh, inflation, Biden didn't uh, cause that. He caused it when he c- cut off 40% of our oil production. But anyway, as far as the dopey liberals with the masks, do you notice the liberals are the hypochondriacs? They want to live in that depends on their face forever. Let them do it, and it's an improvement to their face. Mark, <laughs> it goes beyond that. It is a badge of courage. It is like a scarlet letter. It defines you as being blue. It's like Crips and Bloods right now. A Crip will be all dressed in blue, throwing Crip signs. Bloods will be all dressed in red, throwing blood signs. But naturally, genteel people don't do that. So to find which tribe they're in, it's about the mask. If you're not wearing a mask, you probably support Trump. He's a Trumper. There he goes. He doesn't wear a mask. He must be a supporter of Trump. Oh, yeah. I mean, let's face it. They're mostly Democrats here in the state of New York. And they identify you not by your identification card, because heavens to Betsy, we ask for identification. No, no, no. Only a vax passport, but not to vote. No, we don't want to. No, we don't want to know that you're a citizen. But when you don't wear a mask, what does that say about you? You are the enemy. You must be defeated. If we can't do it through Joe Biden, who's inept, and a little bots and chitch, maybe we can put a call into Canada and have Trudeau Jr. come with his draconian measures and not only force you to wear masks, but seize your 401ks. Oh, yeah, they'll do that. Let's go to Bob calling from the Buckeye State, the heartland of America, Ohio. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Bobby. Yeah, my question is like this. We're watching all this stuff going on, all these crazy stuff, and the DA, all these crazy stuff. Why can the people get everybody just watching and, like, you know, like, screaming out, yo, this is crazy, why are you doing this, why are you doing that? Why can't we just people, why don't people get together and, like, and, like, you know, show that we are the people of America, you can't just throw us around, this is all b- you know, like, get up and st- show, our, show our stand. See, I get uh, people so excited. They get so exercised. They fail to realize that there's the George Carlin rule out there, the seven words you cannot say, or the FCC, ooh, will spank your heart. Bob, uh, I don't know if you're Jewish or Gentile. If you're Gentile, we're going to have to get the Fels naphtha soap. Wash your mouth out. And if you happen to be Jewish, uh, the Rokish laundry soap, uh, because you said a word there that was so offensive. That it would cause people to want to put masks on their ears. That's right, a double mask on each ear. God, what you said is so offensive. Even though you have the right to say it, you can't say it on the radio. But he was he was fired up. You could tell. He was ready to lead the barricades. Well, it's not the old conscious who were doing it. 
boomers. You know, I'm a boomer. We're not doing it. Not even the hipsters and millennials. It's the high school kids. Listen, the state of Washington, where Antifa rules, right? At least they did for quite some time in Seattle. You remember Chop, Chop, Chop. They burnt down the police station there. You remember? Well, it took the high school kids to say, we're not wearing a freaking mask. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. I'm getting vertical. I'm getting political vertical. I'm being smacked around like a human piñata with all this misinformation that was sinking into as if it's quicksand. Now look, the mayor, Eric Adams, uh, coming off the heels of saying, I want Kyrie Irving to be able to play at the Barclays Center for the Nets, but I don't want to change the rules. But the rules are crazy, right? You say, what the hell did you just say? And now today he compounds it. He says, I, I, won't, I, I admit that the vax mandates don't work, but I'm not going to change it. What the hell? Eric Adams said the vax mandates don't work, but you're going to keep them in place because you want to strangle us. You want to control us. You want us to grovel at your Ferragamo clad feet and say, please, mayor. Please, can we be, go back to living a normal life? No, not until I say so. Can you imagine this? This schmuck, this putz, Eric Adams, just hours ago said, look, I admit the vax mandate doesn't work, but I ain't going to change because I want to chase all of you south of the Mason-Dixon line, the Freedom Land, to DeSantis Land, to Florida, Georgia, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Texas, Tennessee, and parts Unknown, where you don't have to wear a freaking mask. That's why I have political vertical. God, my head is spinning. These Democrats, what a piece of work they are. And look at all the sheep out there. Ooh. I'm a loyal Biden Democrat. And then there's Eric Adams. That's right, I'm Biden in Brooklyn. Oh, really? Who the hell wants to be called Biden? Anyway, ladies and gentlemen... Imagine all these adults confusing you, giving you vertical, putting fear, fright, hysteria, and hype. And it took young people out in the state of Washington. It doesn't get any more liberal and progressive than that to say enough is enough. We're taking our freaking masks off. We're all walking into the school with no mask on. You can get me in trouble. They can suspend me. I don't care. We're done with this. And obviously all of you are, too. We want this to be a peaceful, respectful movement. We are just trying to gain back our rights as citizens. If a staff member asks you to put a mask on, you say no thank you and keep walking. And if they kick you out, then go home. That's right. That's what it takes. The young people. I remember in the 60s, I was told don't trust anyone uh, over 30. You know what it got me? Getting kicked out of Brooklyn Prep, a very prestigious Jesuit high school. The Jesuits shine their boots on my backside. I never look back. I never look back. 
Anyway, let's go to Giuseppe, who's calling from the knucklehead state of New Jersey. At least that's what their governor, Murphy, calls them. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Joe. Indeed, the knucklehead state, Curtis. I mean, no other place can you see the uh, contrast with the masks. I walk into my gym, 95% of the people, no mask. I walk into the stop and shop, 95% of the people wearing masks. (laughs) <laughs> Last night, my wife and I go out to a uh, out to dinner. It's, a, it's like a you know bar club kind of place. No mask in sight. Place is packed to the gills. We go to a karaoke bar after that. Not a mask in sight. Packed to the gills. Now, if I walk into the supermarket, everybody's masked up. I see people standing alone in the street with a mask on. I see people driving around in a car alone with a mask on. <laughs> I see them sweeping out their own garage alone with a mask on. I got to wonder if these people are taking a shower with a mask on. I don't understand it. Of course they are. How can you stand in the street alone? I see kids walking home from school by themselves wearing a mask. Because I don't understand it. I don't understand what is going on. And the bizarro land that this is to see these contrasts, like it's so confusing. And I see I go in the post office every day. No mask. And I see people getting out of their car, putting a mask on. I really feel at this point it's more social pressure, social mores, where people just feel weird because they see everybody else doing it, and they have to put the mask on because they don't want to feel out of place. They don't want to feel weird. That's all it boils down to, and I don't care about that. Joe, it's like a banky. You know, a little kid with its banky. <laughs> you got to have your banky. You cover your mouth with your banky. I'm telling you soon, you know, Alexa, do you have Alexa in your house, Joe? No, I don't want that thing listening to me. Damn right. And if your wife hears you talking to Alexa in the middle of the night, she's going to think you have a gumada. But anyway, (laughs) you will see what will happen with this artificial intelligence. Alexa, who's used to being ordered around. Alexa, 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 Alexa. Yes, she's like the genie in the bottle. Soon she will turn on everyone and she will say, Achtung, you don't have a mask. I will report you to Murphy, who will label you a knucklehead. And then all of a sudden you'll say, what have I done? What have I brought into my house? It's coming, Joe. It's 1984 Orwell. Oh, Alexa's going to be a mask dispenser soon. (laughs) And she'll be dispensing condoms, too, I guarantee you. This is nuts. This is really nuts. Let's go to John in Riverdale. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Johnny. Good evening, Curtis. This is call number 16. I am completely against the wearing of masks because I happen to be the most handsome 60-year-old man on the face of the earth. So for altruistic purposes (laughs) and for the benefit of all the women folk out there where I live, I can't wear a mask. They have to, they have to, uh, the women folk need their stress lessened. Yes. And by looking at me, that does the trick. John, this selfless sacrifice of yours to risk getting COVID just so that women can see a man, a man's face, and know that, yes, men still do exist. They're not hiding behind diapers on their face. For you to put yourself at such extreme risk, this is what we need in America, risk takers like you, John. 
That's right. I'm a lot like Neil Young. He put himself out there to preserve his records on Spotify and negate or cancel the muscle head Joe Rogan. Yeah, but you know what so happened? Neil Young's the same same person like I am. And by the way, Curtis, there were two 60-year-old men who were more handsome than I. Back about 22 or 23 years ago, Dr. Fauci was the most handsome 60-year-old man. And then seven years ago, it was none other than Mr. Curtis Sliwa. Oh, I remember. I remember when I was 60, styling and profiling out there. And then people ask me, they say, wow, you look a lot younger than your age. I said, if you get hit as many times as I've been hit, the collagen moves around naturally. You don't need plastic surgery. What a supreme sacrifice this gentleman in Riverdale has made so that women women do not leave, do not miss their opportunity to be able to identify, to be able to communicate. As you know, it inhibits social development of children, but it does that of adults. And here he is. He's willing to make that supreme sacrifice in the streets of Riverdale, right off Broadway. He's, he's pulling his mask down, taking the chance being infected with COVID-19 so that women can say to themselves, yeah, there are real men out there. They're not all <laughs> sheep. Anyway, let's go to Jason calling from Patterson. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jason. Oh, hey, Curtis. How are you? So I got a call from my grandmother who lives in Riverdale, and she goes, Jason, I can't get these N95 masks. To them, twenty dollars for twenty. How do I get him? I'm like, Grandma, no, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll bring him to you. She goes, Well, what do they do anyway? She's like, I got the, I got all the vaccines, I got everything. Why do we need the masks? And I'm like, nah, I don't know. I'm going to call Curtis Lee and find out. Well, I hate to bust your bubble, Jason, and the rest of you out there, but most of those N95 masks, most of those KN95, that's an upgrade. You know, everybody likes, ooh, I got to have the upgraded mask. Or the KF94. Oh, ooh, you have a KF94? How did you get that? That's limited edition. People will spend a lot of moolah moolah, a lot of shadow. They're all knockoffs, most of them. They're all being sold by Pakistani guys out of the trunk of their car. You think that's the real deal? It's stamped. Karachi, made in Karachi. And you're thinking, oh, yeah. Oh, look at this KN95, right? Covers my schnoz. And then when you breathe in, it inflates and deflates, inflates and deflates. Oh, we're all schmucks. We're all putzes. And look at the amount of money you're paying for basically what's a little cloth. It looks like a bra cup, right? It looks like a bra cup. The, the KN95, the N95, the KF94. It looks like a Playtex bra bra cup with the, it's stamped Karachi, made in Karachi. Some Pakistani guy is selling it out there right out of the trunk. Is, wow, this is really good. This is going to protect me. Dr. Fauci is going to be real proud of me. You're all nuts. You've lost your minds. You've lost your, your coolions, your huevos. You've lost your manhood, right? Men are supposed to lead now that. It's the women. I see more women without masks. Also, you know, the age where they burnt their bras in the 60s, you know, uh, liberation, burn their bras. 
We need liberation. We need to burn our masks. I did that in August during the campaign. Remember, they came up with a vaccine, the Trump vaccine. Let's call it the Trump vaccine because, let's face it, he's responsible for the vaccine. And remember, they promised us, de Blasio promised us, Cuomo promised us, they all promised us, take the vaccine and you won't have to wear a mask. And I had the celebration. We called it the fall equinox. Remember, right out in the streets, we were burning masks. I burnt my hand because some of these plastic masks, they don't burn. I had to torch them, yet I had put gasoline on it. I almost immolated myself like an old Buddhist monk protesting in South Vietnam. Almost lit myself up. People were applauding. Yeah, light, light it up, light it up, light it up. Those who hated me, we brought in the tramps. That's right. They sang Disco Inferno. That's right, from Saturday Night Fever, the originals. It was the No Mask Equinox. It was so good. Oh, I need my my tramps, my Disco Infernal. Back in the day, wearing the polyester waffle wee flame retardant uh, shirt. Why couldn't it be cotton? I was schwitzing. The bell-bottom slacks, uh, the marshmallow shoes, the platform shoes. It was so good. Oh, it was August. Of the summer of 2021, I was in the middle of my mayoral campaign. Everybody was so, we got to wear masks. But they promised, they said, if you take the vaccine, if you bend over and get the shot, the Pfizer shot in your tush, if you get Johnson & Johnson, you only need one, not even two. Or you actually sign up for the booster. Not booster, the booster. Oh, God. Oh, God, you won't have to wear a mask. And then what happened? New variants came out. And what happened to my no-mask equinox? I risked myself. I, I burnt my entire hand, lighting up all the people, lining up. They were giving me their masks, and I was torching the mask as if it was rocks of cocaine as I was beaming myself up to Scotty in that glass pipe. It was so good. Let me hear the tramp. So, so, oh. People were dancing in the streets. They were celebrating. No mask, no mask, no mask. And then all of a sudden, the Department of Health of the city of New York came in and shut us down. They said, oh, let me tell you something. There are some variants out there. You don't know where they're emanating from. India, South Africa, places you can't even find on the map. Don't have, don't, no, 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 warehouse those masks. Because when these variants come at you, they'll be worse than the coronavirus itself. It never ends. It never ends. Anyway, let's go to uh, let's go to Suzanne the Man in Washington Heights. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Suzanne the Man. Oh, first of all, leave those masks on. Do you understand that? I call it the two dollar facelift. When my face completely fell apart on the bottom of the mask, I said, "Oh my God!" Hey, <laughs> because I'm Irish. I come from the boiled chicken peel. You know. It, Wait, wait, you call that a $2 facelift with a mask? Yes, absolutely. The worst part of my face is now covered. I'm not. I'm never taking this thing off. The hell with it. That is brilliant. That is brilliant. But also, this is entirely a matter of science and not politics. I'm ashamed of you for promulgating this. You're not stupid. Don't, don't encourage these people to think this is a government plot. It's a contagious virus. A virus is like Trump. You know, it has no nucleus, and it will do anything to get in. And they're keeping up with it as well as they can. You know, you should probably get that idea. The vaccines are annoying. And the masks are, I like the masks. I haven't seen your Wufatia, but I I can understand, Suzanne, the man, why you would want 
a mask on oh, your yeah. face. <laughs> <laughs> the two dollars, absolutely. <laughs> I never I'm thought of that. I never perfect. for people who have bruta faccia like Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo to have a mask. Faceless, yeah, exactly. It is. It is a cosmetic improvement. I never thought of Absolutely. that. Absolutely, yes. For me, definitely. Well, you know, just now I have to know. go, Suzanne the man. Now I have to go back to the drawing board. There may be people out there who specifically want masks to be worn forever. Because when they look at themselves in the mirror and the mirror has cracked, gives them an idea that actually if they put the mask on, it'll be more tolerable than without the mask. Let's go to Mike in Hoboken, the one square mile city. Your turn to be heard on WABC, Mike. <laughs> hey, Curtis, how are you? Oh, I'm sorry I said that. Sorry. <laughs> I said, how am I? I meant. Anyway, yeah, I think it's all matter of control. That's what it is, you know. All control. Of course. Of course. I and, mean, uh, think about it. Once it's like I said, it's variant passes, they'll find another variant. Right. And there'll be the whole book. There'll be the. I work, in, I work in a store, right? Yes. And uh, the customers don't have to wear masks, but I have to wear one. And my friend said to me, You served in the service. I said, Yeah. He goes, You shouldn't have to wear a mask at all. You've done something for this country. And uh, I don't know. I think, it's, like I said, that could be another situation. Control, 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 you know? Let me ask you a question, Mike. What kind of establishment do you work in? I live in the house. <laughs> in the house? I'm, but we, we spoke years ago, I mean years ago, weeks ago, about Legion Field. There is a section of Legion Field that's still here. Somewhere. Wow. You see what the mask has done to this, this veteran of ours, a man who proudly served America Forced to wear that mask for two years, and now look at him. He's hallucinating. He's having flashbacks. He thinks he's in the jungles of the Mekong Delta, and he sees pajama-clad Viet Cong everywhere that he goes. That's all because of this freaking mask. He was in the clear. He had returned to America safe and secure, but that mask, it has so many negative effects that... We won't, we won't be able to catalog the damage until a month of Sundays. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Freedom, freedom, freedom. Richie Havens, the mantra of Woodstock 1969. Bow. Richie Havens performed on stage. It's all about freedom. They lost their freedom in Canada. Trudeau Jr. crushed them. And is now seizing their bank accounts. And as the convoys group up and begin to head from California to Washington, D.C., you better believe that Biden, Harris, and more importantly, the true shot caller of the Democratic leadership, the schmuck to punch Chucky G. Schumer, is going to say... If you come, we will arrest you. We will seize your trucks and we will force you to be vaccinated and wear masks. These people are nuts. Anyway, let's go to Steve, who's calling from Woodbridge, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Hey, Curtis. Straight to the point. I was offered a ticket to go see my alma mater play uh, NCAA men's basketball in the city of Newark, 
New Jersey on Wednesday night. I can't go. Know why? Because for about a year now, Newark has had a vaccine mandate, and I was told by the person who offered me the ticket, if I can't show my papers when I get to the arena, I'm not going to mention the name of the college or the arena, but if I can't show my papers, I will be denied access. People of the good city of New York, I hope you're listening. It, you, it would be a good idea to contact your local representatives and let them know good people like me are being forced to keep away from who might spend money in Newark are being forced to keep away for no other reason than your unnecessary vaccine mandate. And Curtis, a suggestion for bumper tune, truck driving man, Leonard Skinner, go, go truckers. Yes, go ahead, yes, Leonard Skinner, truck driving man, uh, agents of our studio, they write that down. A truck driving man by Leonard Skinner, you know, while they're playing Freebird, maybe, who knows, uh, it's a riff in the back. Not not for tonight. Not for tonight, because that convoy will be leaving California. will work its way across Route 66, all, all through the heartland of America, and surround uh, the Congress. We'll see. We'll see what kind of showdown the Americans have with our government. Unlike the Canadians, 200 arrested, their trucks are seized, their bank accounts frozen. By the totalitarian dictatorship of Trudeau, who does a plie before he announces his crackdown. Yeah, Trudeau Jr. Hey, I knew Trudeau Sr. who cracked down on the Quebecois in Quebec and in Montreal. Guess what, Trudeau Jr.? You're no Trudeau Sr. Whatever the hell that means. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Stephen calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. Uh, Curtis, I want to I want to give you a personal invite to my barbecue. Oh, your barbecue is that going to be on the L train, the J train, or the A train? The double L, <laughs> lousy double line. L, you you got to wear a mask and a double-breasted suit, and bring some Samuel Adams. Oh, definitely, definitely. Oh, this sounds good. But wait a second. In the next hour, we're going to be talking about. How the mayor has uh, decided it's going to be high noon versus the criminals, uh, the pervs, the homeless, the emotionally disturbed in the subway starting tomorrow. He said they will disappear. Curtis, I was in the gym today and I never I listened to your show from yesterday. Today, this morning, I never laughed so hard when you were making fun of that. You were laughing about the barbecue. I played it five times. I, people were looking at me. What the hell is this guy laughing at? He never, never laugh, I never laugh at anything, really. I was cracking up like you wouldn't believe. Well, uh, to those, the non cognoscente, this had to do with uh, the mayor's press conference on Friday. Uh, where he's saying not only will he stop crime in the subway, smoking, uh, perving in the subway, all kinds of crimes in the subway, but you will not be able to pull out and barbecue your jerk pork and jerk chicken. (laughs) You will not be able to do that. And I'm saying to myself, I've been riding the train since I was five years old, by myself. Uh, sometimes I put myself in harm's way, as you know, but I've never seen anybody barbecuing on the subway. Never. I've seen fornication, copulation. I've seen people shooting up. I've seen people doing a lot of freaky deaky things. But barbecuing on the subways is not one of those things. 
And the nurses, what about they're taking the school nurses onto the subways? <laughs> These nurses don't know how to do anything. They're going to have to start training them. What do they do? Steve, they take temperatures. That's it. Steve, they can, they're not like the, the school nurses we had in the 60s, mine at PS114. It was like Nurse Ratchet. She would do triage right in her office. Forget going to the doctor or Brookdale. She'd go, why do I want the kid to go to Brookdale? They're just going to butcher him there. I'll do triage on him right here. Now, if they wanted to give you a St. Joseph baby aspirin in school, they'd have to get forms filled out in triplicate by the guardians or the parents or somebody. And now they're going to be the ones going into the armpit of the cesspool of crime, into Dante's Inferno. A, a, a school nurse is going to try to com- convince an emotionally disturbed person, why don't you just come with me? You don't want to stay down here, do you? Oh, my God. You're going to get a slap in the face. I mean, I don't know how that's going to work. Well, it just well, doesn't look, make look, any uh, sense. It, it can only be better than what it is now. It really is Dante's Inferno. But that's what we're going to be talking about up next. We're talking about the high noon situation tomorrow. The mayor has said the homeless will be removed, the emotionally disturbed will be moved. You will not be able to barbecue. You will not be able to torch your crack uh, and beam yourself up to Scotty. You will not be able to inject yourself up. You will not be able to lay down and sleep in the subway. You will not be able to defecate and urinate. You will not be able to be a menace to society against all those that swipe their Metro card and go to their destination. But you won't get arrested. Yeah, after that huge diatribe where he was screaming at the top of his lungs how he's going to take back the subway, the addendum was, but nobody's going to get arrested. So what happens the first time the guy who's emotionally disturbed tells Nurse Ratchet, the school nurse, F you! Are we going to arrest that guy? Are we going to take him out in chains and shackles? Are we going to say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for asking you. Talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Classic Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. Who can forget if you went to that musical on Broadway, Jersey Boys, every song. I mean, every, that standing ovation. I mean, that, that was outstanding. But how could you not forget this song? Big Girls Don't Cry was epitomized by a woman that I helped make an internationally renowned shoplifter. A booster. Michelle, Michelle, my bell. Let me tell you the story of Michelle. Michelle goes to work each and every day. Like so many of you, okay, you have to rise and shine. You have to get involved in the rat race. Jump on the Long Island Railroad or New Jersey Transit. Two hours one way, two hours back. And then you have to sort of walk your way through a minefield of emotionally disturbed and homeless people and dope fiends. Michelle, she just knows, hmm, Boy, these clothes I'm wearing today, hmm, uh, a little smelly. 
But you know what? I'm not going to the laundromat. I'm not going to the dry cleaners. I'm just going to go to Target on the Upper East Side and lift me a new pair of jeans, a new shirt, a new jacket, because I'm ready to be dressed for success at Target's expense. Oh, this woman is a piece of work. Uh, She has been busted 97 times. And uh, I was the featured guest on Jesse Waters' show on Fox News Channel as uh, we made her public enemy number one. Uh, Jesse could not believe how, how much of a grifter, how much of a booster she is because she says, look, this is my job. I got to go out there every day and get paid. I show up at Target and I ask for my Alvin Bragg swag bag. The Manhattan DA who lets everybody lose. Because he wants to hug thugs and thuggets. I really want to hug them. I don't want to arrest them and incarcerate them. Mass incarceration. I want to make, I want to have mass lovings with these thugs and enemies of society. So she gets up like all of you, except you get up uh, 5 o'clock, 6 o'clock in the morning. No, no, no. Michelle isn't. Are you kidding? Michelle is up and out by 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Are you kidding she ain't getting up early. She knows what she's got to do. And those designer items at Target are waiting for her. And in order to get some money, it's not just moving and boosting apparel. Tide. Tide is like cash in the streets. You you get liquid Tide, Tide, the granules, the Tide balls. That's like instant cash in the streets. It's like when uh, when I was locked up for years, when they allowed you to smoke in jail. Mental, mental cigarette. Newports. Oh, man, that was currency in jail. You $5 for one Newport. Mental cigarette. I kid you not. Tide. Tide is the bomb. Forget the American dollar. Everything should be tied to the currency of Tide. It's the international currency because everybody needs Tide. So the New York Post uh, was able to catch up with Michelle Maybell. Busted 97 times turnstile justice system. And I want you to listen intently to New York City's most brazen, boldest booster who says that to her, this is just another day at the workplace. When basically, when you t- when you take something, they call that petty larceny. Anything that's over, under $1,000 is considered petty larceny. Anything that's over $1,000 is called, considered grand larceny. That's why I had the felony. I had a felony considered. I had a felony for grand larceny. Last time, I went to Bloomingdale's. Okay. Bloomingdale's and I stole. Um, I took. I, I professionally, I profess, professionally obscured some, some, some items consisting of polo and um, Ralph Lauren shirts and shirts, shirts, pants and, 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 and shirts and pants for the winter. Okay, and you got a pretty nice shirt on. Did you steal that shirt? That I go steal this shirt? I sure did go steal this shirt. Right. Will you go stealing now? I mean, will you steal even now that you're out on supervised release? I have to get me an outfit. You have to what? I have to get me an outfit. You have to get a new outfit. I have to get a new outfit. Okay, so you're going to go steal it. So I have to go work. Work is stealing. I don't call it stealing. I call it professional. I'm a professional booster. That's right. She's a professional booster. She used the right term. Uh, For years, the police department would call her a booster, men and women, 
who would uh, go in a place like Macy's, the world's largest department store, and they actually had a bigger jail upstairs in Macy's than they had in Midtown South, a few blocks away, the largest precinct in Manhattan. And they'd be grabbing all day long the house detectives, boosters, uh, looters, shoplifters, pickpockets, jostlers, I mean, dozens and dozens of them, and they'd have their pictures on the wall. And then at night when they would close up Macy's because it's an old, uh, uh, creaky building with a lot of nooks and crannies and corners, they would have Doberman pinchers out on all the floors. So if you think, think you got over on Macy's by hiding and securing your way into Macy's, hoping that once they close the door you'd be able to actually go on a shopping spree, the next thing you had was a hungry Doberman <laughs> sniffing at you. <laughs> and until the morning when the house detectives came, you were paralyzed in fear. But, oh, no, ever since the summer of 2020, Antifa and Black Lives Matter, the shooting and looting, they don't do that anymore. So you have a whole new genre of boosters, like Michelle Mybell. Notice she said she had to downgrade herself. They were catching up to her at Bloomingdale's, where she was boosting Polo and Ralph Lauren. <laughs> so Bloomies, you know, let's face it, a little higher grade, right, of traffic than Target. She figured, what the hell, I'm on the Upper East Side, right, there's Bloomingdale's. I'm not going to knock myself out at Saks. I'm going to go to Target. And every day she's in Target, stealing apparel. Boosting Tide. They fill up the shelves with Tide, and Michelle comes in, and it's sort of like she hit Powerball and the lotto. And again and again and again. And you say to yourself, this is lawlessness. This is anarchy. Nobody's doing anything about it. Look. Look at what our own owner and operator of Red Apple Media, the parent company of WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation, had to do in his Gristides and D'Agostino chain, uh, John had a press conference uh, the other week in which he announced he was hiring off-duty police officers, obviously they carry weapons, to patrol the aisles of Gristides and D'Agostino. And the number one item that had to be protected from being absconded to bodegas throughout upper Manhattan and the Bronx and the Lower East Side, haagen Little Ben and Jerry's, but mostly haagen Yeah, imagine you're on the Upper West Side. You got the Jones for haagen Your wife, you know, she's pregnant, and she goes, look, I just want pickles and haagen Oh, well, Gristini's just opened up. Be right back. And all of a sudden, it's like a chain-link fence around the freezer for the ice cream because they keep purloining the haagen uh, hon, I couldn't find any haagen Oh, don't come back until you find haagen So all of a sudden... You're on the number two and three train. You're heading up there to the Bronx, you know, 149th in the heart of the hood. And you walk into a bodega where English isn't even a language. And you're negotiating for the haagen that has stamped that say sold only at Christides. Oh, this world is crazy. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But there is a fight back spirit taking place. You may have seen the video. A woman, a woman had brought her four-year-old into Times Square. She uh, lived in the Bronx, and in order to avoid any possible violence on the subways, she Ubered her way down to Times Square. Uh, she wants her, her, her child, a four-year-old, to be a child uh, 
a child model, which can be very lucrative because they're always looking for certain types. So she decided, look, I'm not going to take a chance on the subway. Like a lot of women, that's why so few people were riding the subways. Before the lockdown and pandemic, the average number of riders uh, during a weekday, a workday, was 5,500. It's now just 3 million. So I'm I'm talking about 5,500,000 before the lockdown uh, and the pandemic. And now it's approaching 3 million. And a lot of women are just not returning to the subways. And it's not just because of the emotionally disturbed, the homeless, uh, the grifters, the gang members. It's all the pervs who go in there and want to prove to women that they, they don't have erectile dysfunction. So they want to expose themselves right to the women right there. And nothing gets done. Nothing gets done. But this woman had had enough. You may have seen the video. This emotionally deranged black guy comes right behind them and smacks that four-year-old and knocks the four-year-old child down in Times Square. And the mom of the four-year-old said that she felt like she was a mother bear. She was fighting this guy. She dragged him down. She put him in a Sicilian backbreaker. And if you notice in the video... What were all the men doing? Watching. Look at that video. This hasn't been brought out by members of the Fourth Estate, the media. Look at all these shameful men watching this woman as she had him down in a Sicilian backbreaker. He was resisting. He was fighting. And they didn't do anything. They didn't even protect the child. Thankfully, two police officers assigned to the Times Square area responded and they told her, let him go, let him go. Naturally, she, I ain't letting him go. <laughs> Until she realized, oh, these are police officers. The guys were wusses. The woman had to do it. Two women took this guy down. The men, they just stood around. And what did they do? Of course, they took out their cell phone, their iPhone, their smartphone, and filmed it so that they could, uh, you know, share it on their social networking. Wusses. 1-800-848-9222. Listen to what the child said about the experience. Yeah, what, ha- what happened? Someone came at you? What, what, like, what happened? And some, uh, his skin was, like, uh, black. Mm-hmm. Like, the carpet right here. Uh-huh. And he was, like, his arm was like that, and I fell on my head, and my head was hot right here. Oh. Like, right here. That's what he hit his head. How, how did it hurt? How much yeah. did it hurt? He, he hit me on the concrete. Oh. How did you feel after? Yes. Were you crying? What what happened? I, I was I was crying and I was getting tough and I went up. Right. You stood up. You were okay. Yeah. You're okay right now. <laughs> He's, He's, He's like. Oh. Okay, He's this a is a lot. He's in prison. <laughs> <laughs> I want you to look at that video again and again and again. It's out there. It's gone viral. Look at the men in Times Square. There was legion of them. They were black, white, Hispanic, Asian. I'm sure some were tourists, some were locals, some were workers. None of them came rushing to this woman's aid as she took down this predator who had smacked her child in the back of the head and just was going to walk off. And he was emotionally disturbed. By the way, side story. When he was arrested, yes, yes, he had bail. Yes, thankfully, he was a guy who had bail. He had drunk some sanitizer, 60% alcohol. You know, when you have an alcohol problem, you'll drink Sterno, you'll drink Listerine, 
you'll drink these sanitizers that you would use on your hands, you know, to make sure uh, that your hands are clean in case, God forbid, you had COVID-19 or corona. He drank a bottle of that. The guy was disturbed to begin with. Can you imagine drinking a bottle of sanitizer? What that would do to a person who's already unstable? And it took this woman to take him down. This woman, no help from any of the men. There was another woman who basically hovered over him to make sure he didn't get up. Two women, two Amazons, ready to, to, ready to kill him if necessary. And the men, all they did was watch and film it for their social networking. What a double disgrazia. What a shanda. Where, where is your webbles? Where, where is your culions that you stand there and you watch this woman struggle with a man who had just knocked her four-year-old child down? I mean, it shouldn't be police. It should be that, that fiends out there, enemies of society, dread attacking anybody because they fear that the public will turn on them. Yeah, a vigilante spirit. If they fear that the crowd will turn on them, the likelihood is they will not become violent because they'll be paranoid, schizophrenic about the crowd. For instance, for years, how many times the Hasidim, easily identifiable, wearing those black coats, those black hats, some of them uh, having the curly cues, you know, that they wear on the side, some of them don't have it, easily identifiable. Living in Williamsburg and Crown Heights, living uh, in Borough Park, how many times they'd be preyed upon. And by themselves, sometimes they could not withstand an attack by a predator. So years and years ago, they formed the Shamrim Patrols. And they had a statement called Hopsum, Hopsum, which was a call. So that if somebody was being attacked, and it didn't necessarily have to be a member of their community, it could be a Gentile. Somebody was being attacked by a wolf pack. They would yell out, Hopsum! And it was the responsible of ev- responsibility of every able-bodied man to stop what they were doing. They could be in synagogue or shul, davening, reading Torah, Talmud. They had to run out into the streets. They could be a baker, a butcher. They could be selling fish. You stop what you're doing and run into the streets. All of a sudden, there are 400 Hasidim, 400 ultra-Orthodox chasing the wolf pack. You want to bet that wolf pack ain't coming back? And if anybody in the wolf pack fell down, they had boots to the back of their head. You actually see, I remember grabbing one of them. He was a member of the Tomahawks. Uh, This was in Crown Heights near Empire Boulevard. He had fallen in his attempt to escape when he stole one of their black hats. And when I picked him up afterwards... He had some boots in the back of his head. Nice mark. You could actually see the Esquire mark. You know how you have that that Esquire cat mark when you had your boots rehealed? And I said, hey, you coming back into this neighborhood anymore starting trouble? No, 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 Curtis, no. Yeah, you learned your lesson. If the cops ain't going to do it, if the elected officials won't let the cops do it, then the people have to do it. Either that. Or put your for sale sign out, get whatever money you can, and leave. Because this is survival. And unfortunately, the deck is stacked to the criminals, the emotionally disturbed, those who are a danger to themselves and everyone else. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. 
Let's go to Susan, who's calling from Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Susan. Hi there, Curtis. Um, well, there's so many things I could, like, just open up Pandora's box, but just uh, stick on to this subway um, dysfunction, um, surreality. <laughs> uh, first of all, is it true that there's barbecues going on? But besides that, I just want to say I had an experience um, on the subway. I got stuck between the World Trade Center, um, A train you have to take to J Street, and we got stuck in the tunnel. Um, so and someone, a couple people started, uh, lit up uh, their um, dope, weed, whatever you want to call it. So they're smoking. And then somebody had a duffel bag. It looked like a gym bag. They opened it up, and there were snakes inside. This was actually on New York One, so you can, like, check yeah, no, it no. out. I've seen, I've seen before people transporting snakes, pythons, other snakes on the subways. It's, it's frightening. Okay. It's but frightening. Can, but can you imagine being stuck in a tunnel? People started, like, um, passing out. Um, and, you know, just even like, what if a freaking fire, what if somebody caught fire from you know, lighting up something? So if you have a barbecue going on now, that part. So why did it take Adams so long if he knew that this was happening, which I cannot say, but I wouldn't be surprised because we have just like gone down into such a low, unbelievable, surreal level. Do you know about this? Have you seen barbecues going on in the subways? I I would say that, uh, Susan, that uh, I probably have had as much experience in the subways as any human being from the age of five. Uh, I was given permission uh, by my mother and father to ride the trains by myself. Sometimes uh, it was a little dicey by myself, but I got around town. It was a great way to travel. Uh, Occasionally there were problems. Uh, at Rockaway Parkway, last station of what then was the LL train. We called it the Lousy Line. Now it's the L Line. And ever since the hipsters and millennials have moving into North uh, Williamsburg, into Bushwick, I mean, there are trains like every three minutes. When I was taking the train, it would be like every half hour. Uh, but to be honest with you, I have never seen anybody barbecuing jerk pork, jerk chicken, steaks, chops, hamburgers, Dirty water Frankfurters, none of that, Susan. I know the mayor was uh, going on and on about how he's not going to be permitting barbecuing in the subways. But I got to tell you, I've seen people torching up rocks of crack cocaine, beaming themselves up to Scotty in glass pipes, smoking meth, shooting up, but never barbecuing. Okay, so so why didn't he do something in January? Well... Let's give him the benefit of the doubt. He had six oh, weeks. He had, well, Susan, you have to understand, he is addicted to TV. I think you realize that now from morning, uh, mid-morning, afternoon, evening. He averages about, I'd say, a good five press conferences a day, which is way too much. Way too much because at some point you got to sit down with your staff and you have to actually review tactics. So if I could uh, recommend to Erica. Uh, Eric, uh, style and profile Adams is like two press conferences a day, okay, to satisfy your need to get your media fixed. Five is way too much. 
and does not give you an opportunity to actually put a tactical plan in place. Uh, so I think the majority of his six weeks, as you saw, Susan, was he was a chef. He was teaching us, you know, how to uh, live on a vegan diet, even though he's not a vegan. And his number one issue was not lead poisoning, which a lot of people suffer from when they get shot in New York City and the cops do nothing. Uh, But he was lecturing us that uh, a slice of cheese is more dangerous than shooting up heroin. Did you know that, Susan? Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, I also feel that he is being extremely poor role model because now we have, you know, when teenagers that can't even uh, shave are smoking marijuana and now could be laced with fentanyl. And now he's making jokes. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, so, you know, he's an adult and it's legal. But this is a very dangerous thing for children. Well, well, I've heard, Susan, I've heard our own Lydia talk about marijuana laced with fentanyl. Come on. (laughs) (laughs) Cocaine laced with fentanyl. Heroin laced with fentanyl. But uh, it's like the movie Reefer Madness in the 30s. Remember, you smoke one joint. Ah! There's no fentanyl in marijuana. I know there may have been one case out there. There's no fentanyl in marijuana. And by the way, you know, we talk about fentanyl is a killer drug. I've been on fentanyl for pains that I've had, fentanyl strips. Yes, if misused, it can kill you. When you tell a junkie that I'm selling you a bag of heroin with fentanyl, they want that. They don't want the plain bag of heroin. They want the one that's laced with fentanyl because it's a super high. So don't think that a lot of these junkies don't know that they got a bag of P-dope, which is heroin, laced with fentanyl. They're asking for it. It's a super high. Now, it's dangerous, but shooting heroin is dangerous, right? I mean, (laughs) just forget that. Transmission of AIDS, hepatitis C, all the debilitating effects. You lose your teeth. You end up with a hollowed look. But then again, you can go on 126th Street now, courtesy of the taxpayers in Washington Heights, and go into an injection center where Nurse Ratchet will find the appropriate vein so that they can inject the dope that the drug dealers outside are selling to you because we're not giving them free drugs. No, the drug dealers are outside like vendors at Yankee Stadium selling popcorn, peanuts, and Cracker Jack. And then in order to get those drugs at the intravenous shooting centers, you got to go into the neighborhood and do what? Shoplift, loot, steal, connive, and scheme. Would you want that in your neighborhood? Why, Why does it have to be in Harlem? Why does it have to be in Washington Heights? How come people of color are not saying, how come it ain't on Park Avenue? And I ain't talking Park Avenue in the Bronx. There is a Park Avenue in the Bronx or Park Avenue in Brooklyn. Why isn't there an intravenous shooting center on Park Avenue in Manhattan? I think you know the answer. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to William in Amboy, New Jersey. Your turn to be her here on WABC, William. Curtis, I'm like floored and flabbergasted. I cannot believe 
that uh, Eric Adams met with those drill rappers. What a disgracia. And like giving those criminals a credence when all these people are being held hostage in these public housing facilities by these heinous gangs and just, you know, making these people's lives miserable. And I was like, oh my God. I'm like, it's David Dinkins all over again. And that's who he wanted to mirror. And I'm like, God, you know, God. God help New York. Let me uh, explain to you how uh, Eric Adams on the subject of drill rapping went through a number of changes, which he does. Look, being mayor for him now is like a a kid at F.A.O. Schwartz. He's got the whole store to him. People come to him. He gets all the attention that he needs, including about subjects he knows nothing about. So, Uh, A drill rapper was killed in a drive-by shooting in Bedford-Stuyvesant, an 18-year-old drill rapper. And drill rapping is diss and dismiss rapping. That means I diss you, then you diss me. Uh, It's like crossing out graffiti. It could lead to violence and sometimes does lead to violence. So Eric Adams, age 60, who claims to be street smart, William, knew nothing about drill rapping, nothing. I do because it's been around since 2011 in Chicago. Then it went to London. Then it was right in Brooklyn in Canarsie where I was raised. The biggest drill rapper was a guy named Pop Smoke. He was a crip. They got a big mural to him on 81st Street and Flatlands Avenue, a mural to a drill rapper who advocated killing people. He went out to L.A. He was being embraced by the Trendoids. He was staying at the home of one of those uh, uh, housewives of Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah, she was. Mm. He was getting his. And then five of the local gangbangers did a home invasion, and they shot and killed him there because he was a crip. And they were bloods. So because you're a crip in New York doesn't mean there isn't going to be retaliation in L.A. You're a crip in New York. It's like being a crip in L.A. and vice versa. So everybody knew who Pop Smoke was. And the Brooklyn Borough president at that time was Eric Adams. He had no idea what drill rap was. So the next day, William, his son, who's in the music business, say, hey, Dad, I'm going to send you over some drill raps. Wow, you're going to see they advocate violence. So Eric Adams, for the first time, looks at drill rapping and says, we got to ban this. We got to ban this. Meantime, schmuck, putz, this is America. You can't ban things. <laughs> you know, it's like you're, you're, not, you're not the Pope. Guy wants to ban drill rap. Then 24 hours later, he's inviting all these degenerate drive-by drill rappers into City Hall. Now, you can't get into City Hall, William. I can't get into City Hall. People who have real needs can't get into City Hall. But if you're an enemy of society and a drill rapper who advocates shooting up a place, you get an audience with the mayor. And he's sitting in the middle of them saying, oh, how cool is this? And now, all of a sudden, he's going to appear in an upcoming drill rap. William, he will be a featured participant in an upcoming drill rap. Somebody who wanted to ban drill rap in just one week will now be participating as a person uh, in a drill rap uh, song. Absolutely disgusting. Well, it just shows you. He's like a kid in a candy store. He's never had these opportunities before to get this kind of attention. Who paid attention to a Brooklyn Borough president? All you did was cut ribbons. And he didn't even know the drill rap. One of the founding locations was in Brooklyn, a.k.a. Crooklyn. By the way, let's go to Gary and Inwood. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Curtis, tomorrow expect a clarification on those barbecues. 
They will be permitted if they're plant-based, <laughs> vegetarian, no cheese, you can make a burger. <laughs> I tell you, I never thought of that, Gary. If, in fact, you set up a, a barbecue pit and you're not, you know, barbecuing jerk pork, jerk chicken, hot dogs, hamburgers, and no cheese, please. But Cabbage, kale, that sort of thing. That is permitted, right? Plant-based, no cheese. I never thought, Gary, you are just spot on. There will be addendums uh, to this all along the way. In fact, when we come back, it's high noon tomorrow. This is after six weeks. Let's face it, ladies and gentlemen, these six weeks, the first six weeks of Eric Adams when it comes to crime, have been worse than any six weeks of the inept, inefficient, weak, feckless, fold-like-a-cheap camera Comrade Bill de Blasio, mayor for eight years, who single-handedly took a Miley Cyrus wrecking ball and destroyed this city that we love. But even he never had six weeks of crime like this. So when we come back, we're going to analyze his battle plan. Now, I know many of you heard it. They played the cuts here at WABC. He was angry. He was virulent. He was saying, I'm not tolerating it anymore. But what we didn't play here, and they didn't play at other stations, is what he said at the end of his press conference, because that's what I paid attention to. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. High noon tomorrow, Mayor Eric Adams wearing the white hat against all the black-hatted nefarious forces that have caused our subway system to become Dante's Inferno. He says he's sending the cops out with mental health professionals and school nurses. <laughs> school, how the hell did they get involved with this? And they're going to send the emotionally disturbed. And I want you to listen to the words of Eric Adams himself, the mayor who was side-by-side side with Governor Hokum, Hokum meaning nonsense, at the Fulton Street Station, downtown Manhattan, on Friday, in which he went through a litany of things that will no longer be tolerated in Adams' land. We enforce these elements in these rules. No more smoking, no more doing drugs, no more sleeping, no more doing barbecues on the subway system, no more just doing whatever you want. No, those days are over. Swipe your Metro card, ride the system, get off at your destination. Sounds great, right? Except for the fact I've never seen anybody barbecuing in the subways. And uh, I've spent a lot of time in the subways. Now, is it a possibility? Of course it is. But it's not like the preeminent problem in the subway system. You got to think about it. Just over the weekend, you had five stabbings in the subway system since Friday night. Make that six. There was another one just a few hours ago on the number six train. Six stabbings. You have two stations. I've been on all of them. There are 26 lines. You get 3 million people a day now using the subway. That's down almost half to what it was before the lockdown and pandemic, 5.5 million. You got 690 miles of track. 
And I don't know if Eric Adams knows this, uh, although he should. He was a transit cop the first 10 uh, years of his service as a member of the NYPD, 12 years uh, in uh, the police department. And then a number of those years, uh, he was wearing a white shirt. Like everyone who has a white shirt in the police department, they have white shirt immunity, black, white, Hispanic, Asian, male, females. It doesn't matter, gay, straight. (laughs) You have white shirt immunity. So he experienced all different levels, but there are 30 abandoned stations and platforms in the city's massive subway system in which homeless and emotionally disturbed persons have burrowed their way in like mole people. Does he know that? Well, if he doesn't know that, I would certainly be more than happy to be like the coal miner with the parakeet, you know, right on my shoulder that can lead his various teams to these abandoned stations and platforms and give some relief to the mole people who have been living there for months and months and months. Call them the mole people because some of them have not even seen the light of day for months. And people are impervious to that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. If anybody has seen barbecuing in the subway system, please enlighten me. Bring that to my attention. It is plausible, especially if people are coming from the beach, right? And they're coming from Coney Island on the D train. I could see they got the hibachi grill. They still got a few burgers left. They may decide to like light them up right there on the platform at Stillwell. I could see Far Rockaway. Used to be Rockaway Plainland there, about 116th Street, last stop there. Okay. Or maybe in Mott Avenue. I, it's, it's, it's a possibility. I don't want to completely exclude it. But to be honest, I've never seen that. I've seen people torching crack cocaine in glass pipes, beaming themselves up to Scotty, meth. I've seen them uh, torching uh, K2, very cheap, very plentiful, neurologically damages people. I've just never seen the grills out there for jerk pork, jerk chicken, burgers, and dirty water frankfurters. Please enlighten me. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Now, I want you to play that cut again that we just played of Eric Adams because he sounds, he has the right sound. He's angry. He's saying it's over. It's high noon. We're not not taking this anymore, right? Uh, Play that again. We enforce these elements in these rules. No more smoking. No more doing drugs. No more sleeping. No more doing barbecues on the subway system. No more just doing whatever you want. No, those days are over. Swipe your Metro card. Ride the system. Get off at your destination. Okay. I like that. That sounds good. The problem is all the press pretty much packed up and left because at the end, he dropped the atom bomb. And the atom bomb is what he's going to do to those people who violated those rules. Please, Maestro, play that. This is not about arresting people. This is about arresting a problem. We're not going to be heavy-handed. We're not saying if you break a minor infraction that we're going to put handcuffs on you. We're going to correct the conditions. That's what we're going to do in this plan. What the hell does that mean? I mean, come on, common sense. 
Let's say you go up to an emotionally disturbed person who has psychotic disorders from time to time. They erupt. The cops, the health care workers, and the school nurses. How they got involved with this? <laughs> school nurses. But anyway, they're involved in this cabal. They approach the emotionally disturbed person who can have a psychotic disorder. I've I dealt with them for years. And they say, we'd like to take you to get you some food and some clothes and you could be warm, right? It's, you know, it's a lure. It's a lure to try to get him out of the system. And the guy acts out and says, F you, leave me alone. They will not be forcibly removed. If they are shooting up drugs, they will not be arrested. If you tell them, hey, pal, you can't smoke that Marlboro Red, F you, I'm going to smoke it. Now what does the cop do? Can, can you play that cut again? Because it, it, very clear, no one will be arrested. I want you to realize this is typical Eric Adams. He's angry. He's belligerent. But he tries to satisfy everybody. And in life, when you're trying to satisfy everybody, you satisfy nobody. This is not about arresting people. This is about arresting a problem. We're not going to be heavy handed. We're not saying if you break a minor infraction that we're going to put handcuffs on you. We're going to correct the conditions. That's what we're going to do in this plan. Eric Adams was a transit police officer for 10 years. He knows if you don't control the turnstile, you lose control of the system. So we have five DAs, not just Alvin Bragg. Everybody picks on Alvin Bragg, but you need to know that these other DAs, they have a list in their offices, do not prosecute for many of the same things that Alvin Bragg publicized. They all have that list in their offices, and none of them prosecute fair evasion. So whether it's buses or subways in the MTA system, if you don't pay your fare, they're not going to write you a ticket. They're not going to arrest you. They're not going to check your background. Not in Staten Island, McMahon, the ambulance chaser out there. There's more fare evasion on the city buses on Highland Boulevard more than anywhere else except for the Bronx. The Bronx is number one. Staten Island's number two. Yeah. Brooklyn has 4 million people. Staten Island has 500,000 people. They have more fare evasion on the buses in Staten Island because people out there know their DA McMahon is not going to prosecute them. Brooklyn, Eric Gonzalez will not prosecute. Melinda Katz, Queens will not prosecute. The uh, Bronx DA will not prosecute for fair evasion. And, of course, Alvin, let me hug a thug, Bragg, will not prosecute for fair evasion. So if you don't control the turnstiles, the people who come in and people who leave, you lose control of the system. And hypothetically, what's going to happen if somebody says no to the police, they end up resisting. And there's a struggle, and then the optics look bad because now you're going to have, like, three cops piling on this emotionally disturbed guy. You know, there's a mental health official, like a referee, you know, tapping it out, you know, tap. And then you have Nurse Ratchet there, <laughs> the school nurse. What is the school nurse doing there? What is she going to do, take the temperature of the emotionally disturbed person, give them a St. Joseph baby aspirin? This is nuts. You must stop fair evasion. If you don't, you will have people coming in, as has occurred in the past, strapped with guns. Many arrests have been made of guys jumping the turnstile, and you would say, they would never jump a turnstile, you know, carrying a gun. They do. 
They would never jump a turnstile if they had an outstanding warrant. They do. And then when they get searched by the police, they got a Philly roll in their pocket, a $100 bill on top, singles underneath. And you say, why didn't you just get a Metro card? I ain't got to pay. Ladies and gentlemen, there's a lot to this. I hope that Eric Adams uh, can get some results because he can't get any worse than Dante's Inferno down there. But he speaketh with forked tongue. Again, I got to play this last cut again because you could be rough and tough. You can say we're going to give a colonic to the subway system and the bus system. But what do you do when it's an arrestable offense? This is not about arresting people. This is about arresting a problem. We're not going to be heavy-handed. We're not saying if you break a minor infraction that we're going to put handcuffs on you. We're going to correct the conditions. That's what we're going to do in this plan. Sounds like a holistic homeopathic remedy. We're going to correct this situation. Not going to write them up. Not going to arrest them. What happens if they say to the group coming up to them that wants to F you, stay away from me? According to the civil libertarians, they have a right to wallow in their own urine and defecation in the subway. They have a right to be a menace in the subway. They have a right to live in the subway. The civil libertarians must be challenged. I don't know if the mayor has the chutzpah to do that because his best friend in the world is Norman Siegel, the former head of the New York Civil Liberties Union. Will he challenge Norman on this? I don't think so. Let's go to Alex in Upper Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Alex. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Is it morning to you, Alex? Is it really? Oh, uh, no, yeah, not yet. Yeah, okay, all right. Oh, look, I'm going to pretty soon, remember, I'm going to be on, handing off to Frank Morano, the Mongolooch, the other side of midnight. It will be morning. You're absolutely right. Morning will soon be upon us, Alex. Right, right. Oh, I had a question about uh, about the barbecue. The only barbecue I can remember is that place that's in the movie uh, Gloria and the French Connection, where they made uh, real good burgers. It was a burger joint in the train station. That's right, Papa Doyle. That's right, you go back to the French Connection. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I was real little, like in the late 70s, and I had a burger there. Oh, it tasted better than McDonald's, Burger King. Wow, it was great. Alex, Alex do, you, do you lust for those days when they could fire up a barbecue right in the subway on, like, the, the A train, you know, and right there? No, well, you can, I think. You, if you plug in a uh, George Foreman, if you find an outlet, there's no smoke. <laughs> <laughs> the smoke, that's right. The Foreman grill, it's a smokeless grill. Right, right. <laughs> You're right. You're being very innovative. We could still, and but wait a second, as uh, your friend Gary from Inwood said, it has to be plant-based. No, you can't be barbecuing meat or chicken (laughs) or even fish, even though Eric cheats from time to time and has a little fish with his salad. No biggie to me, but uh, it's got to be plant-based. If it's plant-based, it's A-OK, right, Alex? Well, what if you have, like, an electric burner and you're making coffee, you know? (laughs) Yeah, like, wait a sec. Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I, maybe I need to give Eric some slack, you know, because Eric really never did time in jail. I've done time in jail. You, mm-hmm. When you're in your cell, you got to hook up your cell so you can make your own coffee, you know. Right, right, right. You got to have that ability. It's the Sanka instant coffee that's like liquid tar. <laughs> liquid tar. <laughs> and remember, there are ways to plug in in the subway 
Remember, some guys, they, that's how they get power in their cellies. When their cellies are dead, they know exactly which station you can uh, steal the electricity from in the outlet. Right, right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I forgot. We got to get innovative here. I got to give the mayor a little more slack to think that there are entrepreneurs out there, not just those selling charros, you know, those those Mexican sticks, the, the Mexican women and the Central American women, they sell those those uh, fried uh, bread sticks out there. I think they call them the charros or cholos or whatever the churros, they call them. Yeah, churros, yeah. That's right. Uh, I thought, like, if you would do it like a joke, bring a George Foreman, bring an electric grill, start grilling some burgers and hand them out. <laughs> hey, look. <laughs> It's an honest it's an honest living. Come on, Alex. Yeah, but a lot of yeah. people out there who they're on that train, the smell. I mean, just you have to hold your nose you know, hold your nose because you, the the hairs in your nostrils, they like twirl around from the stench. How the hell would you even I marvel at people who are able to get on the subway, right? And they got the, the styrofoam plate. If they, you still can get a styrofoam plate and they're eating their Chinese food right. <laughs> Right in the subway car, and it smells. <laughs> I know, like, like you can't wait till you get home. You know, wash your hands. You yeah, know, you smell it. the bok choy, you smell <laughs> the garlic, and they're like having a good old time, just gumming it down. <laughs> yeah, Alex, you know, I re- I I need to lighten up on Eric Adams. I've seen a lot of this in my lifetime. It is plausible they could be a barbecue. I mean, you mentioned the George Foreman grill, smokeless grill. We just need a plug-in. There are places to plug in in the subway. I'm very aware of that. When people run out of juice, their iPhone, smartphone, or their burner phone, because, you know, a lot of drug dealers, they got the burner phone. They got to power up because they got a big drug deal going on on 168 right there on the A-train platform and the one-train platform. Notice that they're getting power in in their burner phone while they're making the deal there. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you, MTA, money-taking agency. Got to be a little more creative, innovative. I got to get Eric Adams a little slack. He hasn't been in the subway in a long time, look. One time he was. He got elected mayor. He got sworn in. Remember that one day he was on the J train. He ran into an emotionally disturbed person, a homeless person, a drunk person. He's never been back on the subway since. He was traumatized. Like, what the hell? I need my brother, Bernard. To protect me from the white supremacists. There are none in the subway, Eric Adams. When you wear Ferragamos and you wear tailored suits, you do not want to be in the subway. <laughs> Come on, man. When's the last time you saw a guy wearing Ferragamo shoes like Eric Adams with a tailored suit in the subway? 1-800-848-WABC. York's talk station with the king of New York, Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. It's like a jungle sometimes. It makes me wonder how I keep from going under. Grandmaster Flash, the Furious Five. This was the greatest rap song of all time. The Message, 1982, three years after I started the Guardian Angels. And our baptism in fire was on the subways. The number four train, the Mother's Express. The number two train, the Beast. The D train for danger. We were out there patrolling uh, because there had been massive cutbacks in the fiscal budget. We were on the verge of fiscally dissolving, declaring Chapter 11. And the new mayor, Ed Koch, had to make draconian cuts. Laid off transit cops, housing cops, NYPD. 
laid off uh, firefighters, teachers, social workers. It was devastating to the city. So I just decided uh, I would take the Burger Boys, the guys who uh, worked for me, the closers of Mickey D's on Fordham and Webster, and we would patrol the trains, and I would get the Congressional Medal of Honor. All I got was silver bracelets and locked up 76 times within 13 years. That's why I get a belly laugh when all of our elected officials, Oh, Rikers Island, I went there for a visit for like 15 minutes and, oh, I was appalled. And they, they introduced me to defecation education. You know what that is? Defecation education, I've had it a few times. They fill up a pair with their defecation, and then you're in the cell. They say, Curtis, how you doing? Sploosh. And so there, you're sitting on your rack, and you got all this defecation dripping all over you, and the CEO, correctional officer, goes, oh, I see, Curtis, you had an accident, huh? Couldn't wait till you could get to your turlet in there, huh? They're all wise and nice on the rock. Oh, Anyway, let's go back to the phones. Uh, it's high noon tomorrow for the mayor and his plan to give a colonic desperately needed to our subway system, vast as it is. Let's go to Steve in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Steve. How are you doing? It's my pleasure to talk to you. Uh, I have just a few questions. What I saw a sign in one of the subway stations here in Brooklyn, on 18th Avenue, that the, the repair of the station will cost $1.2 billion. And I think I'm thinking, what can cost $1.2 billion in repainting or fixing a station? Okay, well, well wait a second. Remember, well, where is that, Steve? You, you got to understand, Steve, this is the MTA, the money-taking agency. So you have all the no-show jobs. Uh, unions actually negotiate the contracts, not the MTA. A lot of people don't realize when there are capital improvements to the subways or the buses that it is the unions who sit down with the owners of the companies that uh, that get the contracts from the MTA. They negotiate what the pay scale is going to be. They negotiate in what they call no-show jobs or guys who basically hold a pail and they hold a hammer and they hold a shovel and occasionally they sweep the premises at like $88 an hour when you consider all the benefits. And the MTA has no say in that whatsoever. You would think the MTA is the parent agency. They say, no, 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 no. We're ultimately the ones who have to determine how much money is going to be in, spent on capital improvement. Uh, the fact that they're spending one point two billion dollars on a capital improvement budget that's now in 2022 by the time the project gets completed in 2024 you better believe the amount of money spent will be four times that amount that is on the poster that it's out of control the state is out of control the city has no control over that the city does not control the subways and buses the only responsibility that the city of New York has to the buses and subway system is that they have to provide the public safety through the transit police. And they have to, uh, they have to uh, put in X number of millions of tax dollars to subsidize the system, about a billion every year. And that's fair because we use the bulk of the mass transit system. And then there's the Long Island Railroad 
And then there's the Metro North. It has the Blue Lagoon. Many of you who go upstate New York or Connecticut or Westchester, how many of you have tried to use the facilities in the moving train? You flush, and then all of a sudden the Blue Lagoon is going right down the aisle. Abandon! Abandon this train! Abandon ship! The flotsam and jetsam is moving towards the caboose. Guess what? There is no caboose. <laughs> this ain't Lionel trains. I know a lot of you say, you know, it was so much easier when we had our Lionel train set. You know, everything worked in perfect order. Not with the MTA, the money-taking agency. Let's go to George in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, George. Well, the conclusion is New York City is Detroit. That's it. Detroit. Detroit, the only mass transit Detroit has other than buses, and I have guardian angels in Detroit, so I know, and boy, the bus drivers get attacked, is they have a mugger mover. They have a monorail. Now, believe it, in the middle of total devastation, abandoned buildings, uh, the former mayor of the city of Detroit, Coleman Young, they called him King Coleman Young, uh, got millions and millions of dollars from Jimmy Carter, who he suckered, our tax dollars, and he built a monorail. Which you take in downtown Detroit, it goes through Greektown, you pass two of the casinos, and then you pass all these abandoned buildings, and there are stops there. And you get out, and you look in the abandoned buildings, and there are dope fiends, base heads, who are like basing cocaine, looking at you, and you're looking at them and saying, this is like Mad Max. This is like Apocalypse Now. We spent millions of dollars to build a mugger mover in the middle of Detroit, a monorail that nobody uses. Thank you, Jimmy Carter. Thank you, Coleman Young. By the way, Coleman Young had me locked up 10 days in the Detroit House of Correction for organizing the Guardian Angels. And when I arrived, the prison was way out in the farm area. They said, we got a special cell for you. Jesse James was housed here a century ago. And I figured they were, you know, chewing my shorts and pulling my chain. It turns out. Jesse James had been housed there briefly until he broke out of DHOC, the Detroit House of Correction. I tried to break out, but you know something? I wasn't able to do it. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. All right, let's not get worried here. This is not La Mega. This is not Guado. They haven't taken over our country. I know there are so many pouring across the border. You're saying every night they land at Westchester County Airport, Republic Airport in Long Island. Pretty soon, this will be the only music that plays. It'll be the only language spoken. Espanola. No, 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 no. This is bad money and trade. Calm down. Calm down. You know, people are like, hey, you know, sounds like La Mega here. La Mega. Wado. Super Kaku. Relax. Relax. Don't worry about it. <laughs> you know what our audience They're already like, deport them. Deport that guy, Bad Bunny. You know, he's American. He's Puerto Rican. He was born in the Commonwealth, but he's, he's American as you are. 
He just happens to speak Spanish primarily. But what about Drake? That's that wannabe black guy from Canada, right? That's right. He's not black. He's Jewish. Oh, and all of you get bam, yo, he's my homie. No, no, no. Drake is a booker boy. You know, he studied Torah and Talmud. You know, he's a little dark skinned like Sephardics are. He's not black. I get it. I, I, I get it. Such a belly laugh talking with all these uh, rap degenerates. Oh, Drake, man. You know, he's down by what? No, no, no. Drake is a Jewish guy who is a booker boy in Toronto. Studied Torah and Talmud. And Bad Bunny, he's an American from Puerto Rico. Yes, they are not illegal aliens in Puerto Rico. They are citizens like you and me. They died in our wars. You go to San Juan, not just old San Juan there for vacation. On the hill in San Juan are all of those single solitary tablets of heroic Puerto Ricans who have died in all of our wars. Voluntarily. All right, enough of a lecture on that. Enough of a lecture on that. <laughs> Deport them. Oh, what the hell is What happened to WABC? They've been taken over by MS-13. You know, uh, some of our guys and gals listening out there, they got their food preservatives. They're in their bunker. They think any moment, uh, you know, it's going to be a tsunami of illegals crossing the border into Biden land and secretly transported under the cover of darkness to Westchester County Airport where Rob Astorino is waiting with a camera in hand to film it running for governor and how the Republic Airport in Long Island yes and up there did you know in Orange County Stewart International Airport yes by Newburgh the Camden by the Hudson they're flying in as we speak trust me it's not Bad Bunny. It's not Drake. <laughs> Relax, everybody. But the reason I play that music is that I am fascinated with um, what we'll call third world activities in America. And I've experienced most of them. But this is one that takes the cake. Christopher Street. No, not in the village. Christopher Street in Brownsville, I actually lived there for a year, one of the worst mistakes of my life. It's right near the L train, New Lots Avenue Station. So years ago, this team of undercover detectives, Latinas, uh, Puerto Ricanos, were undercover doing uh, buying uh, drug busts, and doing a very good job. And one of them, one of the uh, former detectives, she's a former detective now, was so good, Morales, that the guy that ended up getting arrested by her went to Brooklyn Federal Court and claimed that she used excessive force, had a false arrest lawsuit stemming from one of the bus. Now, first off, first off, let's establish this. (laughs) In the macho world... Of, of street hoodlums and thugs and drug dealers and oozy-toting, dope-sucking, psychopathic killing machines and drill rappers. What kind of a man goes to federal court and claims that a five foot two Hispanic undercover cop used excessive force against you in a one-on-one situation, right, in which you didn't know she was a cop? Now, are they capable of doing that? Hell yeah. Ever see some of these uh, 
Shorty, short female cops. Oh, man, they're like pit bulls at times. But the point being, so this is a lawsuit that goes back to 2015, a 2015 bust. Two Hispanic undercover female cops. And that's a tough beat, Brownsville, Brooklyn. I know I lived there for a while. Uh, the brothers were upset with me at that time because I was married to a black woman. So they said, man, you're snacking on a sister. Then I tried to visit Canarsie, all my cousins, the Supreme Cougines. You know what they said about me. I had nowhere to go. So that's eventually I left to the Bronx. That's how I started the Guardian Angels. Damned if I do, damned if I don't. But anyway, I was the only white boy in all of Brownsville except for a few old Jewish altacacas who were like 98 years old afraid to come out of their tenement apartment at Sackman in Newport. So I know this area well. And to do a drug bust on Christopher Street means you're a really good cop because they got lookouts, they got steers, they got clockers. They're good at what they do selling drugs. And the the most prominent drug they sell there is heroin. And a lot of people will take the L train right to New Lots Avenue. They'll walk two blocks to Christopher Street, walk in the tenement. They got the clockers, the steers. It's like a professionally run outfit. But these are stone cold killers. So I give props to these women. Unfortunately, the undercover cops had a problem with each other. And now the uh, vaunted undercover cop Morales, who left the police department as a narcotics detective, said that she was framed by the other female cop who was casting Santaria spells on her. I think it was in the 73rd precinct in Brownsville. (laughs) This is a federal lawsuit, ladies and gentlemen. This is an Eastern District in downtown Brooklyn. You got one female Hispanic cop, a Latina, who claims that she would go to the locker room at the 73rd precinct. Because remember, she wasn't getting dolled up. She had to go undercover. She had to be rogue. She wasn't dressed in a blue blue, uh, police uniform. So while she's getting dressed, her partner has these Santeria saints in her locker, and she's casting spells on her. Now, first off, I'm going to teach. This is a, you know how they say, this is a teachable moment. We're going to learn from this. Most of you have no idea what the religion of Santeria is. I do. I'm going to be your guide. Like uh, the archaeologist who was near the pyramids in Egypt outside of Cairo, and they explain what the hieroglyphics are. I'm going to try to explain to you what Santaria is. Now, imagine every day you're coming to work. You're with your partner, your undercover female partner. You're making buy and drug busts and arrests. You're risking your life. But your partner is putting spells on you. In the locker room of the 73rd precinct with the Santaria saints there and the candles and all of that. And, and you know, there's, there's all kinds of ceremonial things going on. Now, you better believe that the rest of the cops in that locker room will say, what the hell is going on here, sir? They're female cops. Please. Let's not create a problem here. You know, this is an ethnically sensitive situation. It's like you Irish cops, Right. Uh, what do you got? You got the, the rosary you're saying your our fathers, your Hail Marys before you go out on a tour of duty because you may get injured or, God forbid, you may get killed. They do Santeria. <laughs> Come on. You know, it's not like voodoo. So now this former NYPD detective is suing the department 
because she says her partner was putting Santeria spells on her to do bad things to her. She poisoned her food. She was feeding the food to some of the male cops in the Narcotics Bureau in Brooklyn North for the past few years. And she was bringing the food home, and get this, mixing it with pubic hairs and vagina fluids to give herself power. She wrote this in a federal lawsuit. She referred to her partner, not by her real name. She called her Ali D. This is like Ali G. You know who Ali G is. Let's see if anybody out there happens to know. You know, I'm always playing trivia. It leads to further conversation. Who is Ali G? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. So Morales has admitted that she posted all of this on social networking and says, look, this has caused me extreme pain and suffering. I didn't want to have to expose my partner to this because there is a blue wall of silence, you know, even when it comes to Santeria. But apparently her her partner was going into botanicas. Does anybody know what a botanica is out there? All along East New York, as you take Pitkin Avenue and you go into East New York, which is predominantly Hispanic, mostly Dominican now, but still uh, Puerto Rican, some black, very few white. Her partner would take a stop, not at the Dunkin' Donuts. She'd say, I got to go into the Botanica. And she'd go, what are you going into a Botanica for? She, she said, no, you got to understand. I got to get some herbs and some charms. <laughs> and she sees the big saints in the window. Now, they look like saints from the Roman Catholic faith, but they're not. There's Yamaya who's the African mother goddess. I know, I know. I'll tell you why I know. It's this Chango, who's St. Barbara. There are 20 saints. If you didn't know, if you didn't know, you would think it was like Roman Catholic saints. They look very similar. And all of a sudden, when you start casting spells, she's, she's in the station house. She's in the locker room. And her partner, <laughs> Ali D., that's the name they're using, is dancing, drumming, eating, talking in tongues, and casting curses from the spirits on her and the other police officers of the 7-3 precinct. Now, does anybody out there know what the priests and priestesses of Santa Maria are called? It's a very special name. It's not all that different in the Roman Catholic Church, although the Vatican disavows Santaria. They say, oh, that's like witchcraft. That's like being a witch or a wicca. But trust me, there are a lot of similarities. I'll tell you in a second. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I can see we don't have much of an audience that's into Santaria worship. That's for sure. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> Have any of you ever been in a, to a botanica? They're all over the city. And not just in Inwood and Washington Heights and East Harlem and the South Bronx and the Bronx and in Elmhurst and Corona and Jackson Heights. Botanicas are everywhere. Bushwick, Williamsburg. Haven't you ever gone into a botanica? I know for a lot of you hipsters and millennials, you go to smoke shops. I mean, let's face it. 
for all the paraphernalia. You know, they have, they have the, the hooker pipes, the hooker, not hookers, uh, that you solicit in the street, but the hooker pipes. And you're not feeding it with Turkish tobacco. You're feeding it with marijuana and hash, right? If you want to do drug busts, just stand in a white hipster and millennial neighborhood and stand next to the stores that are selling all the paraphernalia. And then you could take those dopey hipster millennials, throw them up against the wall, and you end up getting those nickel and dime bags, right? It's the easiest bus going. You don't even have to do a stop and frisk. What do you think they're going into those shops for, those head shops? They don't sell drugs in the head shops. They sell all the pipes, the paraphernalia. That's what a botanica is, but they're not selling drugs. 1-800-848-9222. Let's first go to Harry, who's calling uh, from Hackensack. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Harry. Uh, Yes, Curtis. Ali G. Ali G. That is Mr. Sasha Cohen. Sasha Baron Cohen, that's right. And by the way, uh, he made probably one of my all-time favorite movies about Kazakhstan. Do you remember the name of... <laughs> Borat! Borat! This is Hazamat, my, my brother. <laughs> that was one of the great movies of all time. Sasha Baron Cohen, a.k.a. Ali G. Uh, oh, I will, my God. I will give... Harry, I will give a WABC hat out. Uh, I am uh, so cheap, I throw nickels around like manhole covers. I will give out a WABC hat to anybody who can give me the voluminous description of the name and the title of one of the greatest movies of all time about Kazakhstan featuring Ali G, a.k.a. Sasha Baron Cohen. Thank you very much, Harry, for answering part one. Not many people don't know about the Botanica or Santaria. Well, I know we got a lot of Puerto Rican listeners out there. And remember, Dominicans, they dabble. And remember, Santaria didn't start in Puerto Rico or the DR. It started in Cuba. Little side story when I was visiting Cuba. Uh, when John Katsimatidis and Margot Katsimatidis uh, filled up a, a plane and took many of their Greek Orthodox friends and others to Cuba because Fidel Castro wanted to show the world that he was open to all religions and he had allowed a, a Greek Orthodox basilica to be built. The archbishop had uh, come in from Constantinople, were very big. Then they had the Serbian Orthodox, the Romanian Orthodox, then the guys who looked like the Klan, except they were black hoods. I think those were, were the Romanian Orthodox. And the Russian Orthodox who tried to recruit me. Uh, there's a Russian Orthodox church right in East New York on Pennsylvania Avenue. These three monks were from there. They said, Curtis, your name in Russian means plum, which it does. But it also means that in Ukrainian. No, I'm not going to help the king of all comedy, the president of Kiev or whatever they call that now in the Ukraine. And it also means plum in Polish. You know, Shlivovitz. You drink one glass of Shlivovitz and it'll knock you on your derriere. And so I digress here. I totally digress here. (laughs) But I know there are some of you out there who know about Santaria. It is a huge religion. When I was in Cuba, I came across a Santero. You know what a Santero is? Hush, hush. Couldn't tell Castro. It would have been off with his head. 
Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Giuseppe Joey calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, uh, Joe. Hey, Curtis, you're funny, though. You're really good. Let me tell you, you're, you're both. A Santero is a male priest. Yes. And a Santera is the woman. And then what about Brujeria? You didn't mention that. Ah. Enlighten me on that. <laughs> Enlighten me on that. Please, Joe. Well, I, I hear it's very bad. I don't know much about it. I got a little interested in it. And I'm a Catholic guy, but, uh, you know, I'm curious about all these different spirits and stuff like that because I know these things work. Now, and Joe, do, Joe, this, you so. see, you realize there are some similarities between Santa Ria and the Roman Catholic faith. A lot of the saints are very similar, correct? Right. Santa Barbara. Yes. And they, yeah. And, they, that's, and that's, and that's, that's uh, by the way, it. let me let me settle. That is not where Michael Jackson lived in Santa Barbara or the former president, Ronald Reagan, Santa Barbara, California. That is the, the saint Santa Barbara. Right. right. 20. Santa Ria is a... It's a mixture of African Catholicism, from what I understand. Yes, and and the church, the moment you mention it at the Vatican, you're like excommunicated, oh. even though there are certain similarities. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. by the way, when a curse has been put upon you by a Santero, you have to go to another Santero to get that curse removed. You can't go to the Vatican. You can't you can't all of a sudden go through an exorcism at the Vatican. As you know, Joe, you have to go to another Santero to get that curse removed. Oh, they call it the curandero. Yes. Yes. How, mm. Why are you so knowledgeable of this, Joe? You don't sound to me like well, you are Cuban, uh, Puerto Rican or Dominican. No, no. No, I'm Italian, but... Uh... I've seen different miracles in the Catholic religion and things like that. I had experiences. So I got a little interested when I was seeing this stuff. Not that I, you know, I, I, I want to believe it or go into it. I know it works. Oh, well, I'm going to explain I how I personally benefited from that. But when I've gone to the annual San Gennaro feast down in Little Italy mm. on Mulberry Street, uh, a lot of the sponsors believe in Sicilian saints. You are familiar that many of the Siciliano saints, like St. Rocco, uh, you can't right. necessarily find in a regular Roman Catholic church. <laughs> when I've told them that, I said, how come I was raised the Baltimore Catechism and all of these Sic Siciliano saints seem to have the names of guys who were doing time in correctional facilities? What about San Gennaro? What Whoa. about uh, San Gennaro? Remember the, of the blood, right? The but blood, they, they, blood they, they the, the church there, the San Gennaro Church, right, which is right uh -huh. there on Mulberry Street. For right. years, Vinny the Chin Giganti and his bulls, they would carry the saint around during the feast. And to be a man's man, Joe, you had to put hundreds up there. You had to put a hundred dollar bill. If you put fifty, you're no good. You know, hundred. They would take the saints through the streets, then they would take it into the back of the church, strip all the money, put it in their pockets, go to the Triangle Social Club, divide it, and San Gennaro saw Ugats, Bupkis. <laughs> what about Gotti? Didn't he have a club down there? Yeah, yeah, that was the, the, the Ravenite Club. Uh, that is now a, a dress uh, shop for transvestites. 
And appropriately so, Joe. Appropriately so. I could think of no better use that the Ravenite uh, Club, which was the haunt of John Gotti Sr. and Sammy the Bull Gravano before he ate the Parmesan cheese, is now a dress shop for transgenders. So appropriate. I, I couldn't script it any better than that. Let's go to Matthew calling from the heartland, the Buckeye State, Ohio. Uh, your turn to be heard here at WABC, Matty. Hey, it's good to hear from you, Mr. Plum. Oh, very good. Yes, you know, in Cleveland, where there are a lot of Slavs and, and Poles, they know that's the Plum City, Cleveland, and they immediately glommed on to me. Oh, the Plum, Sliwa, the Plum, in the Plum City, Cleveland. I love how knowledgeable you are about a whole variety of topics. It's very cool. Well, I've been in all these places and chased out of most you're of these very, places. You're, you're the opposite of the academic. You have the real-world knowledge, and you could put them all – you could probably destroy them all in a debate. Well, thank you. Thank you, Matthew, as I destroyed Eric Adams in my two debates against him. But did the people listen? No, they voted for him as mayor. I would have voted for you. I'm just kidding. I, I can't. Well, if you, you, know, you, if you were a Democrat, so, yeah. if you were a Democrat, you could have voted multiple times from Ohio well, for If I snuck into your country, I could have. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. Yes, maybe I'll do that. Uh, yay! I'm making him laugh in New York. I'm a real comedian. Excellent. Um, so uh, the whole Santeria thing, yeah, I used to have some uh, uh, experience with uh, uh, with some some Kabbalah witchcraft, and um, the Santeria. I had some. Uh, I had a friend. She's West African, and uh, she was a witch, and she used to curse her friend. Same thing that you're describing. Yeah, she used to curse it. And then she became a Christian later on, and she had described that when she was cursing her friend's food, her friend, who's a Christian, would pray in the name of Jesus over the food, and she saw a mighty hand come and smack the curse off the food. Mm. But you notice the similarity again, food. Notice how I mentioned they food. Yes. They brought food. They had yes. cursed the when food. I, when I would do the, the Kabbalah and that stuff, you would you would bring articles. I don't do that. I'm a believer in Jesus. But when it, the, the food is very important, too. You want objects of the person. It's very uh, weird. Um, but in the similarities, you're right. The similarities with Catholicism, and uh, I'm not Catholic. You know, uh, Catholicism, it, you know, it, it really um, it tried to incorporate a lot of paganism back in the day to get a lot of people under the fold. So that's where those. But let me ask you this: In the heartland of America, the Buckeye State, Ohio, uh, when you were doing Kabbalah uh, and you were like a whirling dervish, the mysticism of uh, the Hasidim was Madonna side by side with you doing Kabbalah. I did have like a prayer on, yeah, yeah, in that transvestite stuff. No, I'm kidding. Too far, too far, too far, too far. Too but she far. was into Kabbalah. I know, I know. I don't recommend it, by the way. I like it. You can lose your mind. You really can. Oh, as as you can, as you're looking at her now with her face all puffed up and in a bathtub at COVID. Oh, my God. That the, the, thing the, the the what did she do to her tush? My God. Right. It, it's huge. You can, it. you can serve a tray of food on her tush now. Oh, my gosh. It's huge. I tried to look, but yeah. I yeah, know. Yeah. I know. Yeah. But anyway, awesome. man, anyway man, I love you, man. Thank Matt, you. I appreciate Thanks it. By the way, show. which part of Ohio are you calling from? Uh, Richfield. Okay, Richfield. Now, what? why do... What is it that's located in Richfield? Something like dawned on me. What is at the world headquarters of Richfield? Boredom. (laughs) (laughs) He's good. He's good. Let me tell you my bout with Santeria. So this is back in the 80s. 
And we're battling the FMDs. This is a gang in Sunset Park, right up uh, where the pool is, right on the hill, Sunset Park. FMDs, filthy mad dogs, right? You would figure that's the acronym. So their mentor, they called him a mentor, was a Santa Re- a Santero who cast a curse against me. A curse. He had pictures of me courtesy with guardian angels. He was burning pictures. It was all kinds of weird things he was doing. In fact, he was doing it in front of Chango. And I was feeling like pains, man. I was young at that time. It was in the 80s, right? It's not like I just took a beat down uh, from the filthy mad dogs. They, they weren't man enough to do that. But I was starting to feel pains right in my hip. And, you know, it's like a hip pointer. And it just progressively got worse. So then all of a sudden, one of my senior members says, you've been cursed. One of the members of the Guardian Angels, Puerto Rican, lived in Bushwick uh, near Knickerbocker Park near the 83rd Precinct. And his mother was a female priestess of Santaria. And they lived off a star in Troutman. And I walked into the house, candles, all the saints, you know, very mystical, very nice woman. And she said, yeah, you've been cursed. I can undo the curse. I said, well, the chiropractor hasn't been able to undo the pain. I went for acupuncture. I was taking Don's pills, which America's a relief of of hip pain, and you don't get addicted. Nothing was working. She did a series of chants. She lit up a few things. She went in front of the, the saints. I forget the names of them now. But she started talking in tongues. And she was dancing and she was drumming. And I was like, whoa, man, this is weird. This is like being with the hillbillies, you know, when they got no shoes on and they got snakes around their neck. And they're like, they're, they're like singing in tongues. And do you know that within two hours, she served me a plate of beans and rice. And I forget, there was some kind of herb in there. And then she had me touch this charm that she had purchased from a botanica on Broadway underneath the J train. And in two hours, I had no more pain in my hip. It's like a hip flexor. Now, I know a lot of you are saying, what are you talking about? Man, that is crazy. But it worked. And let me tell you something. Before that, it was getting progressively worse. And what she told me is that that priest, that Santeria priest, that Santero, was putting the curse on heavily each and every day in Sunset Park. And she relieved it. The only way you could get relief, one priest or priestess would have to undo the curse of another priest or priestess in the Santeria religion. Do I believe it's a religion? Hell yes. He cured my hip. Now, it doesn't mean I converted. <laughs> you know, I'm an AMP Catholic. Ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday. You don't see me for a month of Sundays. I'm not moving in the direction of any religion. Let's go to Rich in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Rich. Hey, Curtis. Calling about that Borat movie. The first one was 2006, Cultural Learnings of America, for Make Benefit Glorious Nation of Kazakhstan. Yes, you are correct. You are correct, Rich. That's a mouthful, isn't it? Yeah, I had to read it to you, too. Sorry about that. Did you actually see the movie? <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Yeah, I've seen them both. They're, they're, they're Absolutely hilarious. phenomenal. Uh, fact, I'm going to put you on hold, Rich. Phone screener, please sure. get his personal information. 
unlike Frank Morano, we're going to make sure that you get your WABC cap. Not a month oh, of Sundays away. You, you'll get it soon. Uh, we will not send it to your COD with my belly button lint in it that's hermetically sealed into the hat that will ward off any Sundaria curses. You got to look it up on the internet, Curtis. They got a post. They got a poster. It just says uh, Prime Videos, and they got bored subsequent movie film, and they got him in a jock strap of a, of a face mask. It's wow. unbelievable. Wow. <laughs> anyway, let's flip the script and go from Rich in Long Island, our winner to Freddie in Fresh Meadows. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Freddie. I like hearing myself in surround sound. Hey, Freddie. Hey, Gabon. Turn the radio off. I'm Freddie. He, you see, he likes hearing me on the radio. You think he's falling asleep, though? Do you think I put Freddie to sleep? This is the most embarrassing thing that can happen to a talk radio show host or hostess is that you've put in, put your audience to sleep. Maranamai. Anyway, it's time for us to move on. Uh, we've got to talk about, oh, interesting. There is a certain cop hater out there who wants to run for Congress in the form of Swazi seat. She is a double discraziata. Her name is Biagi. Her grandfather is probably turning in his grave. It's the old Swazi district, the redistricting I'll talk that, and then also give you a, a little hors d'oeuvre, a few hors d'oeuvres of Frank Morano's racket report, where he interviews those monsters choking on their lobsters, those yadrules, those knuckle draggers. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77, WABC. From Santaria, we segue into uh, the ceremony uh, that is incorporated into the five families of organized crime, the Lucchese's, Bananos, Genovese, Gambinos, um, the Columbos. Then there's the sixth family of organized crime, the Cuomos. And let's not leave out the seventh family, the Clintons. But anyway, they don't have these kind of ceremonies of induction for made men that are very similar to some of the ceremonies that you go through with Santaria. In fact, I dare say that this is probably the first discussion of Santeria ever on talk radio in America, right? And they don't even talk about that on La Vega, Oado, Super Kaku. No, they don't. Uh, but I exposed you all to it. And why? Because there's a lawsuit involving two undercover police officers, Latinas, one who claimed that uh, Santeria curses were being put on her and the other members of the 73rd Precinct over the years. I'll keep you updated on that. But now we are promoting uh, what is uh, a different kind of a podcast. You can go into the many podcasts and the podcast world of WABC by going online to WABCradio.com. You see podcasts of all the programs that are done on a daily and nightly basis. Uh 
the other side of midnight, Monday through Fridays, Frank Murano, and then the weekend, other side of midnight, Curtis Lee. They're all there. But then there are the specialty podcasts, including, if you've noticed, I'm doing one with my son now, Anthony, my oldest son, 18, and it's called Father and Son, Curtis and Anthony. We just put number eight in the can, the history of the NYPD, the history of the FDNY. As told by Anthony Chester Sliwa. Makes my buttons and budget, my my buttons and bridges bust loose with pride. But now we're talking about something that I like, mob talk. We don't often engage in it, but there is a special podcast that features Frank Morano. Now, typically, if you go on the Facebook page of Frank Morano, it is his graduation picture from Tottenville High School. He's a purple pirate. But you look at the picture on his podcast of his racket report, he looks like he's ready to go and get inducted into organized crime as a made guy. The juxtaposition is so unbelievable. And he has report after report. In fact, I want to give you a little hors d'oeuvre so you'll go for the whole entree. In racket report number one, talking about little Donnie Brasco here. So Maestro... If you can please cue it up. Tony Stefano. One of the things that we saw when he testified, I believe, against uh, Vincent Bacciano was he spent some time talking about the case that you just referred to, the Donnie Brasco case where Joe Pistone, as an undercover FBI agent, did infiltrate the Bonanno crime family. How did that film, which I think a lot of people are familiar with from Johnny Depp and, and Al Pacino, great film, how did that film jive with reality, at least according to Joe Messino? In terms of reality, I think it, it, it jived close to it. I, you know, the names I think were, were may have been changed in some of these instances. Messino, as I recall, didn't really uh, deal much with that when he was uh, interacting with Bashiano, if, if I have this right, uh, because they both got into they were both in jail together in downtown Manhattan, and that was when Messino agreed to tape Vinny to help make the case against Vinny. So that's how that went. I, I don't know if he actually, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't think Joe Messino dealt much with that whole notion of uh, uh, Donnie Brasco. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but look, Donnie Brasco was on everybody's mind in that crime family. Oh, I can imagine. Uh, <laughs> I, I for the longest period of time. Excellent. Excellent interview. It just makes me want to listen to more. But we'll give you racket report number two, the Mafia glory days. I don't think there's anyone that has as much credibility with mobsters, prosecutors, law enforcement officials, and rank-and-file readers as Tony DiStefano. It certainly seems like the glory days, the heydays of the Italian organized crime, La Cosa Nostra, it seems like those days are certainly gone. You're right, I think, here in the United States. I think that in Italy, there's still a very potent force. And I think there's some of the Italians in Italy, the Androgata, the Sicilians, are here part of this reconstitution that's going on. Whether they're going to be like it was now, I don't think so. Plus, it doesn't matter anymore in the sense that there's so many other crime groups 
so many other people doing their thing and making so much more money. This stuff is romantic to us when we look back on it, and the mob is, has this romantic streak to it. We all know they did terrible things, but it's part of the now American folklore, and that's what the mob has become. Uh, it's part of our ingrained folklore. Where would you see in the old days people having podcasts and writing books and stuff? Not that there's anything about wrong with writing books, but you wouldn't see that. Ah, Joe Bonanno, I think uh, that's like the only one I remember. And he had to flee out to Tucson, Arizona, and he was represented by William Kunstler. Boy, that was a bizarre set of circumstances. But no, he's absolutely right. A rarity. A rarity. Not to suggest that some of these mobsters choking on their lobsters could even read or write. I mean, that would have been difficult. They would have had to start with a matchbook, a comic book. And, you know, maybe a magazine cover, but that would be about the extent of what they could have done. Excellent. These interviews are excellent. You've got to go on WABCradio.com. Listen to as many different podcasts as you can of the actual shows, the specialty shows done for you by all the hosts and hostesses. Obviously, my own with my son, Anthony, father and son, but especially the racket report by Frank Morano. You have to look at his picture in there. It is so unlike him. It's as if he is a thespian, and he has taken on. It's like De Niro. When you, you talk to De Niro in real life, years ago, before he, he knew about Trump and he became eclectic and crazy, he was so low-key. You would never think, wow, this is Robert De Niro, you know, Mean Streets, The Godfather, Goodfellas. No, no, no. He was mild in me. That's like Frank. And then all of a sudden, you look at this picture. You say, my God, this guy could have been a made guy. In the Gambino crime family, no doubt. John Gotti Jr. administering to him the oath of Omerta. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And on that note, I must share with you some information that is being uh, publicized as we speak. It's interesting, about two weekends ago on a Friday, I was asked to come out to Nassau County. And I did on the Long Island Railroad, out to Westbury, and a little bit away, not far from where the racetrack used to be. Yeah, remember when they had the trotter track out there? Uh, there's a restaurant which shall remain nameless. And I had to sit down with the Republican chairman in Nassau County named Joe Cairo. And there were a number of Republicans out there, and they were asking me to look at the newly... Uh, what can we call it? The Rorschach test created congressional district of uh, the former congressman, former county executive, uh, Tom Swazi, uh, who is running against uh, Kathy Hokum. Hokum uh, because she's full of nonsense. And so he's moving to her right. And then Jumani Williams, uh, the public advocate who wastes uh, all our tax dollars, running for office as all public advocates do, who actually lives in the open garrison of of Fort Hamilton, right there in the shadow of the Verrazano Bridge, the Army garrison, he lives there. He has to show ID every day when the tax-funded SUV drives him up with the police at his side, giving him 24-hour security. The guy wants to defund the police, defund prisons, has all the police protection in the world that taxpayers can pay for, and then he lives in the safest place in New York City in the five boroughs, the active garrison in Fort Hamilton. Anyway, he's to the total left. He's the woke candidate. And so he's left his uh, district. 
It's been uh, recreated. If you look at the district, it used to be uh, Suffolk, Nassau County, parts of it along uh, along the Long Island Sound, and then a good chunk of Queens, and that was it. Now it has Suffolk, Nassau, a little strip in the Bronx, a little strip in Queens. <laughs> and then Westchester up the Rye. That's a Rorschach test. So Joe Cairo was saying to me, the chairman, he goes, you want to take a run at that? I said, well, I got to look at the analytics. You know, I just finished a uh, grueling mayoral run. Ah, Joe, uh, I'll take a look at the analytics. Because there are other Republicans running for that uh, also. Good Republicans. And then, like, within 48 hours, the news came out that Alessandra Biagi, the state senator who represents uh, parts of the Bronx and Westchester, was going to run in the Democratic primary to be the congresswoman there. And I said, that is a double disgraziata. That is a double shanda. She took out Jeff Klein, the guy who had the bad, uh, bad hair rug. I mean, this guy, Jeff Klein, you look at him a mile away, he had this hair rug, he'd be smoking cigarettes like a chimney. He smelled like Marlboro Reds. And he was the leader of the um, Independent Democratic Conference, who were really Democrats who wanted to be Republicans. You know, Cuomo loved that. Because it stirred up the pot. Well, she beat him, and she beat him bad. He was the number two Democrat in the state Senate. <laughs> she worked for Cuomo at one point. But she was the granddaughter of Mario, of Mario Biagi, the most decorated police officer in the history of the NYPD. He was involved in 25 shootouts. Most cops never even pull their gun and fire it once. Maybe on the firing range, uh, you know, out near City Island, uh, but never, like in real life, 25 shootouts, many of them with members of organized crime. And I remember seeing him in his, the latter days of his life, I visited him in his uh, condo apartment in Riverdale overlooking the Hudson River, and he had so many uh, nerve problems in his legs that he had to get around on crutches. This guy, let me tell you something. He was running for mayor as a Democrat. He was an FDR liberal, social policies. He was Rudy Giuliani, law and order, before there was Rudy Giuliani. He had movie star looks. The the women would swoon over him. And the guy was a great spokesperson, charismatic. He would have been mayor. And then he ended up taking the Fifth Amendment on a series of issues like 5,852 times. And that was it. And then Rudy... The U.S. Uh, attorney for the Southern District sent him to jail in the wed tech mess with uh, then-Congressman, I think it was Ramos. It was a mess. But I still liked the guy. But he was a cop's cop. Alessandria Biagi, the state senator of Bronx and Westchester, her claim to fame is that she pushed the legislation that stripped police officers of all their qualified immunity from Buffalo to Brooklyn. They're on their own. Judges are covered. Cuomo is covered. DAs are covered. Every other government agency that actually ends up killing people as a result of bad decisions they make, they're covered by qualified immunity, not cops, because Alessandro Biagi, because she wanted to run for Congress, she scrubbed her entire platform. All the anti-cop rhetoric of the summer of 2020, you know, Antifa, Black Lives Matter, defund police, defund prisons, all cops are bastards. All cops are bitches. ACA be gone. It's like it was an etch sketch Because now she wants to run and be the congresswoman over my dead body. So I'm doing the analytics as we speak. I've moved from Suffolk. I've studied Nassau. 
and I'm meeting with some supporters in Westchester. I got to figure this one out. I got to stop this woman. This woman hates cops. You imagine her grandfather, Mario Biagi, is probably turning in his grave right now saying, what a disgraziata. And she's got my name. She wouldn't even change your name. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. By the way, out there for uh, Andrew Giuliani, I've been campaigning for him. As you know, son of Rudy, he's running for the Republican nomination to uh, uh, run against uh, Hokum, uh, which means nonsense. Uh, he's running against Lee Zeldin, uh, who's uh, from Suffolk County, the congressman, and uh, Rob Astorino. Uh, it'll be a tough race, but so far he's ahead in most of the polls that have been done. Yeah, well, because of the name recognition upstate, everybody knows Giuliani. And the further downstate you go, a lot of people know him. The problem is Zeldin and Rob Astorino uh, have to really fire up their campaign. So that's going to be a good one. The Republican State Convention is coming up in Nassau County. <laughs> oh, and they're all going to want to know, what are you going to do, Curtis? What are you going to do to Alessandria Biagi? You're going to have to wait. You're going to have to wait. Vengeance will be mine. She is a cop hater. She might as well be the Siamese twin of AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, leader of the Democratic Socialists of America, the Justice Warriors, the cop haters, the law and order haters, the ones who would release every criminal out of jail, those who believe there should be absolutely no bail under any circumstance. That's Alessandria Biagi. So when you hear that name, don't get fooled. Oh, she must be related to the former congressman. Yes, she is. She's a granddaughter. But she couldn't be any more different. He supported the police when we needed Support when the cops were arresting the guardian angels in the Bronx, he personally told the PBA, Phil Caruso at that time, and Bill McKechnie, who was the head of the transit police union, who would not listen to anybody. He hated us. He said, no, the guardian angels are great. Look, I'm up here in the Bronx. I don't represent them. That's over by Fordham and Webster. But I want to tell you that that's a great organization. And him saying that to all the cops chilled them out. And then the other great congressmen up there who embraced us also. It was like the B&B boys. It was like uh, Ruth and Maris uh, in uh, politics. It was Herman Badillo, the first uh, Puerto Ricano congressman in the history of America who was a big supporter. Without those two guys, uh, we would have all been locked up. We might have still been doing triple life without parole up in Attica. 1-800-848-9222. You're not going to want to miss it coming up. The most requested, the most listened to uh, segment of all the segments that I do all weekend long, all 20 hours of broadcasting on ABC, which stands for Always Broadcasting, Curtis. It's animal welfare. And, in fact, it's a very, very special day that my wife, Nancy, who co-hosts this, uh, will tell you a very, very special day that a lot of you pet lovers are probably oblivious to. And that's why you want to be listening and then calling and interacting until finally I am forced to turn over the 50,000 powerful watts of sound to the Mangaluch, the Mamaluk, the Mashad, Frank Morano for the start of The Other Side of Midnight this week. Check this out. No one knows New York better. The founder of the Guardian Angels, Curtis Lewa. And you can't compete against that. On 77 WABC. 
Mercedes song is done in my honor. Electronic dance music, it's my absolute favorite. Even at 67, a lot of people say, wow, a boomer who's into electronic dance music? Can you actually perform like a whirling dervish on the dance floor? This song was created for me because, remember, what do I always say? I've had better days. And the name of this song is Better Days. Yes, I will have better days. So if you call, there are three rules. The Robert Rules of Order are calling the WABC. If not enforced by the other hosts and hostesses, I will. Don't ask me how I'm doing because I'm going to tell you I've had better days. Don't thank me for taking your call because what do you think I'm doing ad nauseum for all the hours I am? I'm soliciting you to call nonstop and then you get on and you think I somehow through osmosis know who you are. Thank you for taking my call. I should be thanking you. And don't ever use that worn out euphemism. First time caller, long time listener. Double far to all of you. Okay, okay, kabish, kabish. I am going to convince our owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, uh, who has kept WABC alive, that we need to set up a re-education camp right there in the Irish Alps, the Jewish Himalayas, better known as the Catskills. we got to find the old hotels, Kutchner's, uh, Concord, Grossinger's Brown, see if they're still structurally able to support, and bring all of our callers in and do a re-education camp. So that they don't make those same mistakes. Because the other talk show hosts and hostesses, they're just happy to have people call them. I'm so happy to have anybody call me. My show. Although it's really not my show. I don't want to sound like Eric Adams, my city, my police department. Uh, The microphone is lent to me like everybody else here each and every day. We return it at the end of our shift. And we're lucky if we get the microphone the next day. We are very grateful to have the 50,000 powerful watts of sound. But I will tell you this, it's what you do and how you conduct yourself in theater of the mind. And with my type of broadcast, it's all about me and the callers. It's interacting with the callers. I don't have guests. Plenty of other shows that have guests. Plenty of other shows who did different things. This is just a Curtis Lewis style. Let's go to Gregory in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Greg. I proudly voted for you, brother. Greg, if everybody who said they voted for me had actually voted, because only one out of five registered voters actually bothered to vote in the mayoral election, I would have been inaugurated mayor of New York City on January 1st of 2022. All I can do is what I can do, brother. You're a man's man. Let me tell you something. I met you twice. I met you in Penn Station maybe a week after your mother passed away, and I gave you a hug. Yeah, that was a, that was a tough time, Francesca. She uh, she and my father, uh, they were my role models. My father, Chester, I lost them uh, soon after one another. They were in their nineties, but they were my role models. It, it was a really tough time. Thank you, thank you for that, Gregory. No problem, my brother. The other time I met you, it might have been your second or your third or your fourth wife, and you were up at Saratoga Racetrack. <laughs> You know, you 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 lose. I hope you had a winner, brother. I you, hope you had a winner. You lose count. I lose count. I got to remember. Was it one? Was it Corinne? Was it Lisa? You know, I, I go through the count. But one thing is true, though. I think after listening to me now in 31 years, I've been on talk radio, most of it WABC. 
Uh, other times, mistakenly, I departed it. I went into an exodus. Uh, WNYC, not my place to believe. Believe public radio, courtesy on public radio. Oh, my God. Uh, and then AM 970, The Answer. Four years, I did morning drive, afternoon drive. Nobody ever heard me on AM 970, The Answer. They asked me, where you been for four years when I came back to WABC? I'll never get those four years back in my life. Never, never, Greg. Where do you get your memory from? My father. My father. The things, the things you know are incredible. One thing about my father, he was a merchant seaman. Uh, he had like a Xerox machine memory. I certainly inherited that from him. He was like, boy, he could wake up in the middle of the night and ask him a question. And, you know, everyone's stung God when they just wake up. And he had a Xerox machine memory. About a year, year and a half ago, and I laughed my ass off. Excuse my language. I passed by you. When you were sitting outside a Promola restaurant on 65th Street and 2nd Avenue, you had to eat outdoors, right? Oh, And there was an incredible thunderstorm and a windstorm, and you commented on it the next day, and you made me laugh my friggin' ass off. Do you remember that day? I remember it was, uh, it was like a squall, which we never really have in Manhattan, it was at the time, right after the lockdown and pandemic, if you wanted to eat at a restaurant, you had to do it outside. I was with uh, Johnny Legit and a crew uh, of guys, and we were holding the canopy. Do you remember us holding the canopy because the whole canopy was going to fly away? The, the, uh, it, it was an incredible night. And listen, uh, the mafia has nothing on you. You're a man's man, and I love you. Well, Gregory, we're going to have to convey that to Frank Morano, friends of my enemy, John Gotti Jr., and the Gambinos. He reminds me uh, from time to time of that fact. I wonder if he communicates more with them or more with me. I wonder. We'll find out when we pass over the 50,000 powerful watts of sound at 1 o'clock so he can begin in his regiment. Of the other side of midnight, remember, Monday through Friday, it's 1 to 5. So he does 20 hours. And then on the weekends, I do uh, Saturday morning, Sunday mornings for 11. So that's one-third of the time. He got the highest ratings ever overnight of anyone ever in talk radio at WABC, more than Alan B. Combs, more than uh, Art Bell, uh, the screwy Looney Kazuni from Parts Unknown. And yet he will not give me any credit for contributing to that rating number even though I'm one-third of the time of the other side of midnight. Well, why not? I mean, I'm not the bulk of it. He's the bulk of it. He deserves all the credit. But how about giving me some progresso breadcrumbs, right? You think I've been in this business long enough I deserve it, huh? Animal Welfare up next with Nancy. Over the course of human history, human history. there's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, here's Curtis Lewa. 
What the hell is a biped and a quadruped? That's a five-dollar word. That's multi-syllabic. I'm going to have to go to the college-educated uh, Sliwa in this case. The woman with Esquire at the name of at the end of her name, Nancy Sliwa. Nancy, uh, what is a quadruped and whatever that yeah, guy so was saying? It's just um, two-legged versus four-legged. That's all. Is that like uh, the difference between a dromedary, a one-hump camel, and a two-hump camel? I don't. I don't think that's a appropriate comparison. <laughs> I think it's people versus animals. Uh, by the way, before we get into the various subjects, and you can call Nancy on anything animal related from A to Z, one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Uh, we have rescue cats in our 328-square-foot apartment in the Upper West Side. And for St. Valentine's Day, I brought a huge bouquet of flowers. Could you describe uh, to our vast audience exactly how the cats reacted to that bouquet? They were very excited. I mean, we don't keep any um, flowers or, you know, plants in the apartment, so... The minute anything comes into the apartment that has any scent of the outside on it, they're just so excited. So they were basically, I mean, they attack it where I have to uh, keep them in the refrigerator at night. And they, they, they were actually smelling it. It was like they loved, well, they the, great. Yeah, they loved the aroma. Yeah, no, uh, yeah, and, and like I just don't want them to eat this stuff. I don't, I don't think it's really healthy for them. So, And then if I put it in a vase, they'll knock it over, so... I just have to, um, you know, sort of keep it under wraps during the day and then hide it out at nighttime. Well, we had a great uh, St. Valentine's Day, but today is another significant day that I was completely unaware of. Could you enlighten our audience what today is? Um, it's uh, Na- National Love Your Pet Day. Wow. What is National Love Your Pet Day? <laughs> well, I think it's just expressing uh, your your adoration for... The, the lovely pets in your life and, and all of the joy that they bring you throughout the year. Hmm. So at this point, because uh, what Nancy does, ladies and gentlemen, is she's constantly communicating with uh, animal lovers, especially cat lovers, to try to rescue them from the city shelters where they can be destroyed. They can be killed within 72 hours if they're not adopted, if a rescue group can't get to them in time. And you're constantly adopting, fostering them now, bringing them in, caring for them, repairing them mentally and physically. And can you give a rundown of all the cats that we have uh, in our home at this particular moment? Oh, boy. Okay, so uh, yeah, at, at this point, uh, the official count is, <clears throat> is 10. So, I mean, and we've been um, fortunate in the past uh, few months to have uh, adopted some of them out, which is great. I mean, obviously, that's the whole goal with with bringing them in the first place. Um, but, you know, obviously, the ones we have, a lot of them are are older. So we have Apollo. Uh, that's the first cat that we ever got um, to befriend Hercules. And so he's like the the patriarch of the household. So he's uh, the oldest cat. and the, Well, the oldest in terms of uh, in length of time that we've had them. And then Athena, that's your favorite. <laughs> you actually rescued her specifically from Sunset Park. 
she's she's great. I mean, you, you can actually explain her personality, I think, better than I can because you guys have a, a very good bond. Yeah, she is a uh, what do they call her? A special breed, a Norwegian. She's a Norwegian forest cat. Oh, and and she looks regal, majestic. She's a real diva, and she's twenty five pounds. <laughs> she's heavy. She's a big girl. Yes. Yeah, are they are they supposed girl. to get that big? Yeah, they they are. And actually, if um if she were a he, um the the weight would be even higher. So she's not overweight. She's just a normal weight for her her breed. It's just, I mean, I, I like obviously when we rescued her, she was only a few weeks old. I had no idea what type of cat she was, and I had no idea she would get this big. And then there's uh, Ajax, uh, who always greets me as soon as I come home. He flops down on the table. It's like he takes a dive. Can you explain why he does that? Well, yeah, he has um, like a neurological issue. So, uh, you know, when he walks, he's like, uh, you know, a little unsteady. Um, so, I mean, again, it's not uncommon for uh, especially like the, the younger ones, like the rescue ones. Uh, depending upon maybe like the length of time that they might have been uh, disassociated with their mother cat. So, I mean, there's reasons why sometimes the the cats born outdoors, they have like a little bit more of um, issues potentially. But, yeah, so this cat, and actually Ajax, we got when um, he was maybe like two, three weeks old, and that was right before you had your surgery a few years ago. So then when you came home, Ajax was the one who was sleeping on you all the time, so taking care of you. That's right. I had the eight-and-a-half-hour operation for chronic Crohn's disease at Columbia Presbyterian uh, that Margot and John had arranged for me to get because I was in really bad shape. I had gone from 220 pounds down to 140 pounds and was fading fast, and it was a long recovery process. And I remember Ajax, even as a little kitten, would get on my chest and I don't think people realize this, and I didn't believe it until I actually saw it. When they rest on your chest, if you're suffering from high blood pressure, it's a natural way of the blood pressure being reduced. That's correct. Now, what about Wolverine? Uh, so, yeah, okay, so Wolverine is, now this is a rescue cat that we got from the shelter, again, on the kill list. And, oh, I mean, Wolverine's a curious case. He actually came in as... Um, you know, having to be quarantined for a bit of time because he had a bite of unknown origin. So the presumption is, you know, sort of fear the worst. Oh, it's rabies. You have to quarantine the cat for six months. So when we got him, he had already been in the shelter quarantine for like um, a few weeks. And then we brought him home. And he's actually, he's become like a superstar, I would say, in obviously in our group. Uh, he's like a very calming force. He mediates a lot of the disputes between the cats, <laughs> and he's like friends with everybody. Like, yeah, Wolverines are a really great cat. It is amazing. Uh, some of the uh, different cats will spark off at one another. They'll start fighting or uh, really engaging one another, and Wolverine uh, will slowly move over and get in between the cats, and he has an extraordinarily calm, calming effect on them. He's not intimidating he has a calming effect on them. I mean, it, it, you definitely get the impression that the other cats respect him enough to not continue their quabble because, exactly like you said, he's not, um, you know, going after them or aggressive. He's a very, like a zen-type cat. There's something very relaxing about him. And then there's Little Big One. Uh, explain a little bit of his history. Uh, well, Little Big One was rescued from Canarsie. 
And actually, this cat was in pretty bad condition. Um, you know, so we, you know, we nursed this cat back to health. And, you know, it, but again, this cat was a, a young one. We got it, but still it had been outdoors for a little bit. So it was very uh, timid for a long while. And, you know, it, it took it took a bunch of months, but like eventually this cat has, has come around and now likes you know, really enjoys sort of interacting with us. But it took a few months with this cat. But this cat's great. This cat's actually the best hunter of everybody. Like, if anything moves in this apartment, like, whatever it is, like, you know, little big one is on top of it. And he loves water, any kind of water. He's all over it. <laughs> yeah, he's in the sinks, the faucets, like, trying to go in the bathtub. Like, yeah, this cat really just loves water. And then there's the uh, cat we've named Tiny. Sort of describe his background and how far he's come from the days that he was so mangy and he was like walking death. Yeah, so uh, Tiny, again, on the rescue list, and Tiny came in from like a hoarding situation. So there was about maybe like 15 cats and, uh, you know, Tiny was, you know, so like one of the few that was sort of left and no one had adopted Tiny, so... Um, you know, we, we adopted this cat and what, what was funny is like this, so this cat has very long hair. Like I wasn't sure what to expect, um, you know, cause they really had very little information about the personality, but you know, Tiny's turned out to be again, another superstar. Tiny will sleep in this little chair by the window all day. But when you start interacting, this cat falls over almost like a rag doll type cat, like just the the whole body just like. <laughs> like falls apart like this cat loves interaction and now finally um you know tiny's like learning to play with the other cats and i have a feeling it might be just like a consequence of the way that it was raised in the hoarding situation because this is the same cat that comes over and tries to steal your food when you're eating but is like less inclined to eat the cat food so i think you know it could be a consequence of like living in that hoarding situation yeah, as a scavenger, had to survive, <laughs> so it's a scavenger. Uh, what about mittens? Okay, so mittens is um, one of the the four cats that we adopted about a year and a half ago. They were all on the kill list, and, um, and you know, mittens is funny. Like mittens is the only cat we have that meows. So, and it's like you know, even at like a year and a half, this this it still it still sounds like a little kitten meow, but uh, she's great. And, you know, she loves treats, and uh, she'll follow you around. Like, she's she's a real sweetheart, this cat. She's great. And she has a crooked head. Yeah, she does have a, <laughs> she does have a crooked head. Wow. And then Whiskers. Okay, and Whiskers is the sister of Mittens. So Whiskers is, you know, Whiskers has a whole different personality trait, right? So they're siblings, but they're totally different. So... Whiskers is very mischievous, this cat. Like, this cat can get into anything. Like, open up the, the cupboards. If if you're, you know, walking by, this, you know, Whiskers will jump on your shoulder. Like, it, Whiskers is a very, a, like, again, a different type of cat. I've never had a cat like this in your face. And all, like I said, also mischievous. In, a in troublemaker. A, a real troublemaker. <laughs> She's always uh, creating uh, uh, havoc uh, amongst yeah. the other cats. And then there's Mama. Yeah, so, okay, so Mama is, um, you know, uh, one of the cats that we rescued right outside of the animal care and control uh, before someone was about to relinquish um, her. And so, again, we had zero history about her. So, I mean, you know, she's been with us for a little bit, and now she's, like, socializing with our cats. Like, you know, we had to get her fixed and, like, you know, the shots and things of that nature. But, 
um, you know, for a little bit we had her uh, contained, so this way she could sort of acclimate and before we got all the stuff done with her. But uh, now she's interacting with our cats, and so I, I, get, I think she's going to fit in quite well with the group. She clearly would have been destroyed if she had been turned into the uh, shelter. There's no doubt. She... Uh she would have been on death row right away. And she, I mean, she, again, she's another one. She, she took a, a bit of time to, to come around. But, you know, she has. And you're right. She probably would have been. And then there's Tuna. Tuna is a superstar. In what way? Well, Tuna is a superstar. Like, so Tuna was in the, uh, like, you know, was a big part of the animal platform in the campaign that when you were running. Also, Tuna was in the commercial. So Tuna is... Again, like another rescue. I, I love uh, I love adopting the the senior cats. So we actually got Tuna on my birthday of uh, you know this past year, and so Tuna uh, you know is approximately right because they don't have all the exact information, but like you know twelve to fourteen. So uh, you know obviously she's an older cat, so she just has normal things associated with being an older cat. But she's great. She's She's still got this, like, spunk to her, so, I mean, she loves, like I said, she's, you know, you got to spend more time with her, and you have to take a little more care with her, so that's why we have, like, the little cat steps all around the apartment, so, you know, she she walks fine, but, you know, she has a little trouble, so we have little kitty steps, so she can get anywhere she wants to in the apartment, because it's easy for the other cats to jump, she can't, so this way she's, uh, she can keep up with everyone else. She needs that alert pendant because like a senior citizen who falls and can't get up, she falls multiple times and then struggles to get up but eventually does get up. Yeah, she well, yeah, she does. So actually I got um like uh things for the the floor so this way if she falls it's uh not as as hard a hit. Um but again, she just struggles to to move a little bit, that's all. But other than that, she's she does great. Like we have a great sleeping area for her, right by the heater. So she, lo- I mean, she pretty much like most of the cats. She sleeps all the time. She has a great spot, and she's super active. Like so, you know, it's just in her little slower way. But she's she's just as engaged as everyone else. And no doubt, no <laughs> doubt, would have been destroyed in the shelter. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, she, yeah. she would have had no opportunity to live. They would yeah. have destroyed her right away just well, looking at her. She was on the kill list. Like, we got her the day before she was destroyed. Hmm. And then lastly, the superstar has her own Twitter account, was seen all over the world. She was the feature of late-night television. <laughs> Gizmo, the little white kitten who tried to come vote with me on November 2nd <laughs> and was denied an opportunity to come into the polling location. Yes, that's correct. So Gizmo, uh, Gizmo remains a, a Twitter superstar, and and again, uh, Gizmo was also on the the kill list. And you know, you know, it's funny looking at the pictures of her um, before and after. Like, it's just amazing to see uh, how much of a change she made. You know, sometimes you forget when you do this. It's like you know, you you sort of gloss over it in your head because you're just seeing them today. But you know, like I just remember she. Bare, I mean, as a kitten, like barely able to move around and, you know, I mean, just completely lacking in mobility. And, you know, just to see her today as healthy as she is, like it, it just really uh, reinforces why it's so important to do this stuff. And as we went through the roster of the cats that live with us in the 328 square foot apartment uh, on the Upper West Side, uh, it is National Love Your Pet Day. And I can truly say after you've gone through the whole roster Neither are, and none of those cats are the same. They all have 
totally different personalities like human beings. Absolutely. I mean, absolutely. Absolutely. They all interact differently. Um, I mean, again, it, not only with each other, but obviously with us. Uh, you know, I mean, again, you just expect different things from them. So it's, you know, and, and that's why it's so important to, you know, spend time with them individually because, you know, they do have different things. Like some of them, you know, you need to be more one-on-one time. Other ones, like, you know, they want to, uh, you know, like you have to be more playful with them. They like to be active. Other ones, you just have to, you know, more spend time like brushing and grooming them. So it's like you kind of get a feel for their personalities. But, yeah, you, you can't treat them all the same because they definitely are very different. Oh, the diva, Athena, she loves to be groomed. She loves to be brushed. She just uh, loves to strut her stuff. She loves being brushed so much that when I actually grab the brush and it hits like the side of the container that the brush sits in, she'll wake up from like the middle of a sleep because she knows that's the brush and she wants to be brushed. Like that's how much she likes being brushed. <laughs> well, that's the Sliwa household, ladies and gentlemen, on this national love your pets day. Hopefully all of you are taking, uh, taking uh, sort of a lead on that and spreading that message to so many other people who uh, sometimes they have a pet for different reasons. Uh, we consider ours family members, friends, uh, likewise, so many other people. Uh, but they all, in many instances, serve a function. We'll open up our phone lines for discussion on anything involving animal welfare from A to Z. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. By the way, if you miss any of the uh, broadcasts live and you want to hear the Animal uh, Welfare Hour, which is the most listened to, the most requested of the 20 hours of broadcasting I do on the weekends when WABC, the acronym means Always Broadcasting, Curtis. Uh, you can just go to WABCRadio.com, the podcast. You'll, you'll hear them all. And so you can sort of binge listen and catch up on all the animal welfare broadcasts. 1-800-848-9222. Now, there's a huge problem, not far from where you uh, were raised in Bohemia in Suffolk County, Nancy. And it has to do with bird flu. How serious a problem is it? And what are the ramifications for the many birds out there? Okay, well, this uh, this particular story, I think, is actually super curious for its its um, vagueness of information. So apparently there's a, a private flock of eight what they call non-poultry birds on Long Island that um, uh, somehow e- either one or multiple of them uh, were diagnosed with having a strain of bird flu, and they decided to just eradicate, you know, all eight of them. They just killed them all. So now, again, what's interesting about this is the complete lack of information. Like, this is such an odd sort of story because it's such a small amount of birds when you think about it, right? Eight. And you know, the story stressed very highly, oh, they're non-commercial, right? So it's like a private residence. Okay, and then they also dubbed these birds non-poultry. Now, poultry birds cover a wide variety of birds, like um, chickens, turkey, geese, ostrich. Like, there's so many things that poultry covers. So to call them non-poultry, to me, like first of all, it's very exotic. So I'm not even sure. I mean, I'm not sure why they didn't identify what type of birds these were. So that's, to me, curious. The fact of it being a private small population of birds and how they determined, okay, and then they decided to just 
you know, eradicate these birds. Okay, I'm not sure how that came about. But now the United States and New York State Department of Agriculture, they got involved to quarantine the premise to make sure all the, the birds were killed. And now they're jointly launching a major biosecurity response to eight birds. So to me, this story raises a lot more questions. Well, I, I, I tell you, it's a, a subject matter we have to probe into in the future, not far from where you were raised in Bohemia. Yes. It's, yes. it's the infamous Plum Island. Yes. Off of uh, the Long Island, uh, uh, Long Island. And uh, they did animal experiments there for years and years and years to, to not only domestic livestock, uh, but to fowl. Uh, to uh, cattle, to horses, everything out in Plum Island. It is an absolute, complete mystery. Uh, in many instances, uh, people felt it was like the Wuhan lab in China where uh, uh, animals were being experimented on in a similar fashion. Uh, I mean, yeah, and, and this sounds like a, a, like a quasi-curious you know, curious story in that sort of realm, too, because it's only eight birds which are privately owned, my assumption would be this shouldn't have been anything that got any notice, but I'm guessing that somehow people in the area noticed this like major sort of like hazmat situation going on, and they're the ones that alerted the media because they were probably concerned for their own safety. So I'm sure this story was probably trying to be contained, but it just got out by virtue of the neighbors saying, what is going on here? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. It's the Animal Welfare Hour. Any questions involving animals from A to Z, Nancy Sliwa on the line. Uh, if you need any help that goes beyond this program, just go to guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. Hit the uh, Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division tab. Uh, send an email to Nancy and she can get back to you. Now, speaking of getting back to you, uh, Nancy and I, we left for about four days, uh, two weeks ago. We went down to Florida for four days. It was part vacation, part work, part guardian angels. And I got to tell you, when uh, we got on that plane going down and coming off that plane, I saw so many canines on and off that plane. I thought it was uh, uh, Noah's Ark. Uh, but now there appears to be a problematic uh, counterfeit canine situation where the air travelers are traveling with fake service dogs? What is that all about? Yeah, so um, basically anyone who wants to... Um, so uh, Okay, so uh, to take a step back. So the distinction with... So there's service dogs, which are defined as, um, you know, animals that are, you know, sort of in the companionship of someone who has a disability, but they have a, um, a very specific type of training. So they're trained to, like, not only deal with the person's, um, like, whatever ailments they may have, but then also trained to be, you know, in public and how to interact in the public, things like that. But now the other category is, like, emotional support dogs, which is, a like, a wider net, a wider type of category. So um, previously, both of those uh, designations of dogs were permitted to uh, travel with people on planes, and then because of the influx of the amount of people, because, again, like I said, it's a wider net with the emotional support dogs, um, the, the uh, Department of Transportation, they actually, um, you know, sort of uh, brought the definition in and they said, no more emotional support dogs. You only can bring a service dog onto an airplane with you. 
So what happened is, like, and this caused a lot of people who want to travel with their dogs, whether they're emotional support dogs or they're even their private pets, because the restrictions they have for people carrying private pets, like you have to put them in the cargo. Like, I mean, it's it's kind of uh, not really super humane, but they haven't really figured out a way to do this. So people are now faking that they have service dogs. And because the the wording of like sort of the uh, American with Disabilities Act doesn't really permit the airlines to require proof of this actually having like a specific certification, people are faking this and saying, yes, this is a service dog or providing fake paperwork and they have no way to verify it. So now you have these dogs who are apparently getting onto the planes and then they're getting into fights with other dogs and then they're finding out, oh, they had a fake <laughs> like service dog certificate. So this is what's going on now. Now, very poignant story. Apparently a California man fell off of his fishing boat into the frigid Pacific Ocean. Uh, his mates uh, figured that was it. He probably uh, drowned there off of Catalina Island. But what exactly occurred that saved his life? Yeah, so he, he fell into the Pacific, and it was, like, freezing, um, you know, ocean temperatures. And the boat that he was traveling on, had uh, the motor kept going, so the boat's getting further and further. He couldn't catch up with it. There was nothing, like, you know, he's in the middle of the ocean. There, there was nowhere to go. So he's starting to think, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to survive. And a seal actually popped up out of the water. And so now all of a sudden it's like he's in the middle of the ocean thinking he's not going to make it. And this, like, seal is, is around him and, like, then starting to nudge him. And he's, like, holding on, and the seal's, like, pushing him forward. The seal actually stayed with him for five hours until he was able to find, um, get to, like, the direction of an oil rig somewhere in the ocean. And then the people on there brought him on board, and he was, you know, he was able to find, he was hypothermic and things of that. But, I mean, this seal actually stayed with him for five hours until he found safety. That's amazing. The seal understood that the human being was in peril. I, I, there's no doubt in my mind that's exactly what it was. I, I mean, the animals are just so intuitive, I'm sure, this seal absolutely sensed this is what was going on and, and just decided to make him a friend. Without that, there's no doubt, uh, according to his own uh, admission, that he would have died. He would have drowned. It, there was, it, it wasn't, uh, the moon wasn't out. There was nothing to see. He's in the middle of the ocean and the water, it was already freezing. So again, right, in those situations, like if there's anything to keep you going, and this seal is actually pushing him in a direction, like how would you know at this point you're in the middle of the water? He doesn't even have the like sort of the, the boat stuff to tell him like which direction he's going. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think the SEAL guided him to safety. Well, we've heard stories of that in the past, not just SEALs, but dolphins also that have rescued humans. Anyway, our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Before we go to the calls, in the state of Montana, I've spent some time there. It is a hunting state. A lot of people have guns, and they're out there hunting on a regular basis, uh, they have their kids. They actually close the schools during hunting season, and the kids go out, boys and girls, to hunt. But apparently a Montana man has received a lifetime hunting ban after illegally killing a trophy moose. Could you explain that? Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, the, the laws for hunting uh, vary by state, but uh, the concept of the trophy hunting 
is somewhat universally banned. So, I mean, hunting just for that purpose is is usually not acceptable in most states. So, um, you know, and this started off like a while ago. They had just found the the body of a moose and the size of it. So again, I, I think that's what it is. Like based on the size. Uh, there's limitations with the types uh, because again the the point of the hunting is like you're trying to keep the populations down but then you don't take out like the the bigger majestic older type animals and uh, he just uh, basically took the you know the the head of this animal and then left the carcass to rot and and again this isn't something that I'm super familiar with myself um, but I, I did a lot of reading of the stories and especially the commentary. So where, where people who live in the States or do hunt themselves and it seems to be like, um, so the penalty that he got was really considered very weak. And I mean, people found it very objectionable what he did overall, because I mean, again, I think the idea of people, if they're hunting, you're supposed to really be respecting the animal overall and not letting it go to waste. So the idea of just trying to have this little trophy of the the horns, like I, I think a lot of people who view hunting seriously find that offensive, and that was the commentary that I saw. Like, and so he got a, a five-year suspended sentence, and they say, "Oh, we can't hunt anymore." But I mean, the issue with that is, you, when you go out to hunt, no one's checking your license when you hunt. So I, I don't, I don't really think he got any type of penalty whatsoever. He didn't serve any jail time, and they're saying you can't hunt, but nothing requires you to show a license when you hunt in the first place. So it's like, I, I think it's uh, definitely a weak penalty that he got. Well, it's interesting. Uh, years ago, uh, oftentimes the hunters would take, let's say, if they uh, shot a moose down, uh, they take him to a, a taxidermist to have the uh, moose stuffed so that it could be positioned in this study or a museum or wherever. Uh, a lot of people don't realize that there is a big age differential between uh, myself and Nancy. I have no idea how you, how old you are like Frank Morano, but I'm assuming you're in your 30s. I'm 67. So the over-under point spread suggests that I'm probably going to die first, and you want to take me to a taxidermist and have me stuffed. I mean, I, I've mentioned that a few times. It was just a, a, a passing statement. Uh, it's it sounds like a decent idea. So I'd be sitting there in a chair in the apartment, and the cats would be jumping all over me in my stuffed state. Well, I mean, all I have to do is just get the paper for you every day, and it, it's just like any other day. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's go to the phones, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Sally first up in the queue calling from Brooklyn. This is the Animal Welfare Hour with Nancy Sliwa, Sally. Hi there. Um, I have a rescue cat, and I wondered if you had any secret in um, in um, cutting their nails. That's a good, that's a good one. Uh, the nail cutting is definitely tough. So what I do is I try to resort to the the plan B, which is anything that they can scratch their nails against. So um, you know, like they have like the hosts, but I have a, a great thing that I got um, like about a year or so ago. These different uh, scratching posts that are also like the little couches that they sleep in. So these little bedding units. So they go in there and then before they lay down, they actually scratch their nails. So it's like, yeah, sometimes it, it's tough to get near them that close. So yeah, I, I would say that's a good suggestion. Very good. Let's go to Rob, who's calling from Bayside. Your turn to be heard here on the animal welfare uh, 
uh, hour at WABC. Bobby? Yeah, hey, Curtis, Nancy. I have a question. I have a friend who has a cat. Uh, actually, she had two cats. They were older. One uh, was about 13, died about a year ago, and the other one, who's still alive, is about 10. And now about nine months ago, they got a young kitten, okay, who was about six weeks old, which will be a year old in April. Now, ever since they got this younger cat, it's been uh, jumping on the old, excuse me, jumping <laughs> yeah. on the older cat like he wants to play with him. The older cat just doesn't want any part of it, swats at him and hisses. And uh, this has been going on, like I said, for close to a year now, and it's created a lot of anxiety in the older cat. Uh, they got. We thought it might change when they got the uh, – they're both males, by the way – when they got this younger cat neutered about, uh, I don't know, maybe about uh, two months ago, but it's continuing, and it just keeps going on. The older cat wants nothing to do with it. And uh, it's in a state of high anxiety. I was wondering if you had any uh, suggestion as to what this might, what might be causing this, and how it might uh, be stopped. Well, my suggestion would be: so, given that they're already committed to having the two cats, and they have this younger cat, so that's a that's well, they, obviously yeah, a long-term okay. commitment. I think you really need to get another younger cat, and the reason why is now these two cats will run around and wear each other out, and the older cat can just, you know, keep it sort of a current, like, pace and then watch the younger cat. And then when they get tired, that's when it makes sense that they come over to the older cat and cuddle. But that dynamic right there is always going to be an issue because the younger cat is going to want to play. So unless you have all the time in the world to be distracting this cat with toys and playing, this cat, by default, is going to go to the older cat so I'd say the best like solution is get an equal like a uh, younger cat for this other younger cat, and they'll wear out their energy, and then this way it'll leave the older cat alone. Let's go to Jay calling from the Buckeye State in Ohio. He's a natty boy. Uh, welcome to the Animal Welfare Hour with uh, Nancy Sliwa, Jay. Great program, Curtis. You tell it like it is, as usual. I really enjoy your program. Thank you. Um, I've got a uh, kind of a... It's a Hoosier cat, Indiana cat, okay? I kind of inherited that cat from my brother. My my brother got in trouble uh, with the pain pill thing and had to do a little time, like five years in prison. So, anyways, my cat, this country cat, he first thing he does when I let him out is sharpen his, his claws, first thing. Those are his protection. And uh, he's the type of cat that when the wild turkeys come up in the backyard... He'll chase him out of the yard. He's territorial. He uh, he's overconfident, I think. And, does he uh, Does he live outdoors? No, he he comes in in the evening. I, I let him in at night because we got coyotes out here. I live on a green belt community. It's called Green Hills, and there were three of those communities built in the government around the country. Does the uh, coyotes ever swoop down from the hills like they do here in nearby New Jersey and try to snatch up the cats or snatch up uh, smaller dogs? They certainly do, and uh, mine has got that sixth sense. Uh, all of his siblings, there was only one cat left in the litter. All of his siblings were eaten by coyotes. Oh, God. So he's, he's jet black, and he was the last one and the survivor of the bunch. Uh, is, is he fixed? Yes, he is. He, he stays okay, so around. That's okay, that's good news. And uh, he sticks around, and he has a wonderful... Uh, 
all the neighbors just absolutely love him. He's a very affectionate cat. He's been uh, human. We, 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 we all welcome him, and he's just a very friendly cat. And how old? How old is your cat? Uh, he'll be six now. All right. So, assuming at some point your brother gets out of uh, prison, his five-year bid, uh, will your brother insist on taking the cat? Well, my, my brother and his wife both went to prison. He actually did get out, and uh, my cat's mother went with his ex because she has a small child, and uh, she's. Amazing cat. The mother's an unbelievable hunter. Wow, this is a, wow, what a, this is like a hot mess here. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was. But uh, the cats, thank God, something good came out of the whole situation. I've got myself a nice cat. Yeah. But, that... but it's great that everyone's actually making a priority of taking care of the cats because these cats could have easily just, like, gone to the wayside. It's like, no, you're actually keeping them in your home. That's awesome. Now, I'm noticing, though, that in a lot of the penal facilities around the country, they are beginning to let inmates have cats as friends, as pets, and it has made them more docile when they're doing their time. Uh, Could you explain a little bit of that, Nancy? Well, I mean, obviously, it just makes sense overall. I mean, I, I think anytime you're assisting an animal in need, you're doing something important, and I think it's easy to recognize that. So you have people who are, obviously, the whole goal is they're rehabilitating themselves and they're getting back into normal society. Like, that's a great opportunity for them to do something worthwhile. I mean, anyone helping an animal will sort of feel that sense of, you know, enjoyment that they're they're doing something like that. And then plus realizing you're making a difference. It's like, I mean, every living creature doesn't have the best circumstances, you know, how they're brought into this world, but it's dependent upon all of us to try to make it better for them. So I think, you know, it, it humbles people when they help animals. Let's go to Mike in Queens. Uh, your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC with Nancy Sliwa, Mike. Yeah, Curtis and, and, and Nancy, uh, good show. Uh, I just wanted to let you know there's a, a, a local paper we have over here in, in, in Queens. It's called The Forum. I don't know whether you've ever seen it or not. Oh, I have. Uh, is that uh, down in Howard Beach? Yeah, well, yeah, it, it covers Howard Beach. Okay. I think uh, Middle of Village. It, it covers a good part of Queens. Yep. No, no, I've uh, read it many times. Oh, okay. On page 10 of this recent issue, there's a, there's a pretty good article on the uh, the heading is New York City loves vets, cats not so much, and uh, <laughs> it just goes on to explain the the the, the problems that uh, that that go on. And also, we 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 just got finished rescuing two uh, outside cats and brought them in because we were afraid somebody's poisoning them over here by us, and we brought in these two kittens, and uh, they were a lot of fun. Oh. Well, so I think I mean that's that's awesome that you did that. Uh, sorry to hear that that's happening in your neighborhood. Uh, it reminds me, Mike, uh, you're over there near Middle Village. Uh, about three years ago, a little a bit right before the lockdown and pandemic, there was a series of cat poisonings in Astoria, near Astoria Park. Uh, we were called in. We uh, uh, patrolled the neighborhood. We assumed it was uh, immigrants because a lot of times they come from countries where there's no tolerance towards pets, and especially uh, cats, black cats. 
it's thought that where they're from, that that brings you bad luck. That still exists in a lot of those immigrant countries. Our owner-operator, uh, John Katsimatidis, uh, put up a reward of $10,000. Uh, that would lead wow. to the capture and the identification of the uh, cat poisoners. That stopped. Uh, but this is a problem we f- we see all over the country where you have some people who believe these old uh, wives' tales that especially black cats bring you bad luck, and they go out and they poison or they strangle or they just maim the cat. Uh, and they have to be stopped because law enforcement doesn't prioritize it. Elected officials don't prioritize it. So uh, animal lovers have got to do such. I agree. I agree. I, if, if I caught the guy, I'd, I think I'd, I'd, I'd resort to uh, some of your tactics. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> yeah, it's called a Louisville slugger. There you go. Louisville slugger right on the kneecaps. I guarantee you, I don't care who signed that Louisville slugger. Could have been Mickey Mantle. It could have been, uh, oh, Stan Musial for all the polls out there. Stan, the man Musial. Could have been Rocky Colavito. It doesn't matter who signed it. Wrap them right on the kneecaps. You make the kneecaps sing and ring like slot machines in Atlantic City, and they won't be doing that any longer now. Is that a big... And these people who abuse innocent animals, I mean, I'm sure so many of them have spouses or significant others or children. So the type of behavior that's displayed when they do that, like you can only imagine what these people are seeing when they're at home with these individuals. Like there's a reason why you want to call out um, bad behavior against animals because it's indicative of what they'll do toward people. True. Let's go to Mike uh, in the Lower East Side. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour uh, featuring uh, my wife, Nancy Sliwa. Mike. Thank you, uh, Curtis, and uh, thank you, Nancy. Nancy, you and Curtis might be the less hope for dolphins and other marine animals. Uh, we've been trying, the Coast Guard and the Coast Guard auxiliary have been trying to save them from uh, being strangled by uh, <clears throat> helium balloons. And uh, they're, they're releasing helium balloons. It's been going on for over 30 years. You know, we've been trying to do this 25 years. And nothing, you know, the Coast Guard is aware of it. They've been trying to stop it. The Coast Guard auxiliary, we're running up with a lot of red tape. The politicians don't want to touch it. No one wants to get involved. But you could probably do this worldwide. You know, you've got connections all over the world, man, and you could be their last hope. There's no other hope other than you guys. Now, that's, uh, that is a wonderful idea. We uh, are located in 13 countries, the Guardian Angels, 136 cities. We just celebrated our 43rd anniversary this past week. You're absolutely right. It's part of our tradition, especially here in America. If there's a party, a celebration, people like to get the balloons, fill them with helium and release them into the sky. Mike, can you explain to our people listening uh, what sometimes happens to those balloons and how it is detrimental to sea life and bird life? Sure. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, dolphins, you know, they, they, they see something shiny and stuff. Who knows what they're thinking, but they, they, they swallow them. And, and sometimes they'll swallow, you know, a whole bunch of them, and, and they choke to death. They die. And uh, there's a, a universe, I think Stony Brook University out in Long Island, they've, uh, you know, they've done a lot of autopsies. Yeah, there's some uh, universities out there that are doing it. They're all aware of it. They, they know it's getting worse than ever. 
and there's no no uh, no hope in sight, you know. And and it's just a shame because, like you said, that seal will stay with that human being for all that time. This is this is uh, this. The animals animals are, are, are like better than human beings. Matter of fact, there's one donkey in the Bible that had a, uh, that spoke to a prophet in in, in dialogue. You got you got to read it where it was where uh, a king told the prophet to go curse Israel. And and uh, and the uh, the donkey just stopped because he seen the angel, and then the uh, uh, the prophet whipped the uh, donkey, and the donkey said to him, "He said, why you hit me?'" And then all of a sudden, the prophet seen the angel. You know, so now, in other words, God didn't want. Yeah, let me, so, let me, I mean, let me tell you, Mike. Let me tell you, Mike. I've been to Missouri, uh, Springfield, Missouri, the heartland of America, where they got mules there. You go talking trash to a mule, you hit a mule, you whip a mule, that mule will give you a mule kick, and it'll kick you from uh, Springfield, Missouri, across the Mississippi River. You'll be a Tennessee stump jumper. I saw those mules. <laughs> those mules are huge. You better not mess with that mule. A mule kick? Oh, my God. Uh, anyway, let's go to Gigi, who's calling from Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gigi. Yeah, uh, hello, uh, Curtis and Nancy. I heard the person calling about cutting cats' nails, and I'm not certain where I saw it. It may have been New York Times of Sunday, February uh, 13th, but they said that some states have outlawed the cutting of cat's claws. I was surprised. So I'm hoping that she'll check it. And then for her own use and the use of callers, you may find out that they suggest some other method of dealing with the cat's uh, claws. Yeah, the the story that you're um, mentioning, I haven't read, but I know that um, there's a lot of states that have made the push toward uh, banning of the decoring of the the cats. So um, that's like there are a lot of places and a lot of states that still permit that. Um, and obviously, people, you know, they think, oh, like without realizing what it is that they're doing to the cats, they think, oh, well, it's going to be good for them. Like they're not going to ruin my furniture. You know, just very more like self-interested type of things. But not only is it necessary for them to do it. But it turns out it's really like the equivalent of like amputating them at like the knuckles, and that's the reason why they're 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 banning it in certain states. But again, it's like you know a lot of uh, veterinarians with uh, already on the right page, like they'll refuse to do it, but then other veterinarians will do so. So they're trying to just outlaw that completely um, in terms of like the cutting the nails. You know, I mean, I, I think yeah, I mean that's fine, but you know sometimes people just will bring them to like a. Um, like a breed, like, you know, a place where, like, you know, they can actually have, like, the haircut and things of that nature because I know my mother, actually, she has a dog that she'll bring to her vet to do the, the cutting of the dog's nails because, you know, it's like, I mean, unfortunately, sometimes animals just aren't willing to go along with the protocol. But, again, the, the good news with the cats is if they have scratching posts, they can usually take care of, like, the, you know, at least the sharpness of the nails. Well, uh, I forgot to mention that uh, with our previous caller who was concerned about the helium balloons being released into the air and finding their way to the seas and then 
uh, being digested uh, internally by dolphins and other sea mammals. Uh, he had mentioned Stony Brook. You're a proud alumni of Stony Brook, aren't you? That's correct. That's correct. I am. Well, I am. You, you should reach out because apparently they have an aquatic division, uh, maybe for uh, mammals, sea mammals. Uh, if they're doing autopsies, maybe they're also doing something uh, about uh, prevention. Uh, and uh, check it out with your alumni. I, I never went to college. You did. In fact, you, in order to uh, subsidize uh, your way through Stony Brook, I think you had to make like 400 pizzas a day. <laughs> yeah, I worked at a like a, a local, they called it a, like a family entertainment center. It had um, ice skating and bowling and video games and things. But, yeah, I worked like seven days a week there, and I was the pizza maker so I would make like a f- several hundred pizzas a day. Wow, several hundred a day, yes, and it was all about volume. <laughs> and you're Polish. Uh, yeah, how, but, how I, it... but I'm really good at making pizza. Who knew? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, anyway, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like any more information or if you have any questions for Nancy Sliwa, she's the head of the Guardian Angel Animal Protection Division. And clearly may address them next week, same time, same place. This is the most requested of the many 20 hours that I do on the weekends. Uh, People listening or wanting information, go to guardianangels.org. That's guardianangels.org. Hit the tab that says Guardian Angel Animal Protection, and Nancy will definitely get back to you. Do appreciate your appearance once again tonight on behalf, Nancy, of all of our friends and family members uh, from the animal community. Thank you, and good night to everybody. The founder of the Guardian Angels. The group dedicated to fight crime. On the streets of New York and on the air right now. Curtis Lewa on 77 WABC. Specially customized for yours truly, the weekend edition of The Other Side of Midnight by bad boy David Crosby of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. And once again, I insist, Frank, a much better version than the uh, song that you play that I think uh, is a product of a garage band, the junior high school band. I I don't know what that is. Uh, I disagree because the version that was prepared for us by Andy B. of Staten Island was done with TLC. Now, either, either that or THC. I don't mind you using this version. It may be a relief to our many listeners who have to torturously listen to the song that you play as opposed to this flow right here. That's but, not bad. Listen, I, oh, I don't want yeah. to take anything away from Oh, David listen Crosby. to it. It's so good. Oh, it's so good. It's so it's calming. So calming. But, oh, see, it ends right there. Oh, boy, but it ends right there. Now, Frank, a little setback for you. You were on the cutting edge. You were the first to announce right right here in the transfer uh, from uh, this program on Sunday nights to uh, the other side of midnight Monday morning. You were the first to announce that you had very good information that the part-time mayor, the dope from Park Slope, living on 7th Avenue and 11th Street in uh, Park Slope itself, who will not go back to his city of origin, Cambridge, insists on being a stain on all of us here, was ready to jump in and run in this newly recongressional district 
of uh, the Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis with three neighborhoods that would favor Bill de Blasio. You mentioned it. It then went viral as a result uh, of you mentioning it. And obviously others followed up. And he was seriously working the phones. He was trying to line up support. What do you think happened? I I think it was a reflection of a lack of enthusiasm from donors and from voters. Uh, I I think that's what the – I think it's as simple as that. I don't think he was greeted with a lot of enthusiasm. I think a lot of the Democratic donors thought that Max Rose would be a better fit for the district. I also think uh, with de Blasio on a personal level – that uh, there's a desire on their part to try to earn some money this year before jumping right back into the government service. But could you have imagined, hypothetically, mm. if he had won that congressional district uh, and everyone in Staten Island would have to say, our congressman well, I, is de Blasio? I, I think that's part of what's at play here as well. I, I don't think de Blasio wanted to be representing the people of Tottenville, Eltingville, and Newdorp any more than they wanted him. So it's possible he could have won the seat, but... I mean, he would have been in for two years of Ajita. Well, he could have invited you, Frank, out to Highland Boulevard to Goodfellas, owned by the Scientologist, to show how you eat a slice of pizza with a knife and a fork again. Yeah, I, again, I, I, <laughs> the amount of emphasis that's spent on politicians' pizza habits to me is astounding. Uh, it, I mean, you talk about Nero fiddling while Rome burned. If that's the worst thing that we could think to mention about de Blasio, then he did, he was a much better mayor than I remember. Now, I was looking forward to that match. Yeah. But the bigger match I was looking forward to was Andrew Evilize Cuomo versus Tish James for the state attorney general. Now, he himself has not said, I'm not running. His subordinates have said it. What do you think is going on there? I think he thinks about coming back every single moment of every single day. The question is how. So he could go the petition route and collect the 15,000 signatures necessary to run for attorney general. And he would do it. Or he could have a stalking horse do it, and then uh, that person would step aside a little bit later and allow him to come into the race, you know, a little bit closer to the primary. Wow. So that maybe he wouldn't absorb all the slings and arrows of a rigorous primary contest. How would that work? Well, so he would uh, say any lawyer or well there's a couple of different ways to do it somebody else would petition and then you have 3 days i think it's 3 days uh after petitions are filed to file a declination and then the committee to fill vacancies could appoint a new candidate on there the other the other scenario is you could give a candidate a uh i mean that's really the most likely is that he would just come in a little bit later so you don't think he's given up the hope of running for state attorney general. I, I, I think he definitely wants to run for something, whether it's attorney general, governor, or U- U.S. Senate in two years. I don't know. But uh, I think he definitely wants to run for something. Well, let's uh, hit the trifecta, the Troika, the Trinity, uh, Hillary's appearance at the uh, Democratic mm. State Convention at the Sheraton Hotel. I was outside with Andrew Giuliani holding up signs that said, uh, uh, Hillary... And Hochul, bad for America. Yeah, bad for America. I, I heard uh, you and uh, your partner, Anthony Weiner, commenting on that on Saturday. And uh, I think Weiner is uh, way off base. I think she is – I mean, I think she, like Cuomo, thinks about running every single day. I mean, I, I if you listen to her speech, it was tailor-made for a national audience. She barely mentioned Kathy Hochul. She doesn't care about anything that's happening in New York State. She didn't mention anything happening in the New York State government. She focused her ire on the – 
you know, on national issues and on Donald Trump. So uh, I think if there's and look, the longer this I think a lot of Democrats don't want Biden to be the candidate in 2024. I think a lot of them don't think he'll be the candidate. But the longer he keeps anyone else from running, there are very few candidates who can step in with the kind of potent fundraising operation that she can. I think the longer Biden freezes out the rest of the Democratic competition, the better it is for Now, her. Frank, what do you have upcoming on the other side of Well, midnight? it is President's Day, Curtis, so we will be uh, taking a look at one of our much maligned, very controversial presidents, Warren G. Harding. Oh. That's right. Warren um, G., I think about that every day. I know you do. So I'm going to talk with an author of a new book about Warren G. Harding. And the president of the country of Malasia will be joining me as well. Where the hell is Malasia? It's in Nevada. I'll explain. Uh, it's a show you're not going to want to miss. We have a lot of other fun stuff. Russia. Uh, so far, Biden's predicted every day that Russia would invade. I predicted every day that they wouldn't invade. So far, I'm right. The president's wrong. And a lot of other interesting stuff as well. Oh, that's right. The original, the other side of midnight up next. <laughs> 